but we'll talk about yeah, we'll it. Don't want to talk about it now. Yeah, Some we let's all talk about it. We'll talk about it in a couple of minutes because, hey there, welcome to Geeks with Kids, the internet's geekiest <laughs> podcast that, you know, Dude. sometimes maybe if we're, you know, we pay attention, we take a parenting point of view, but maybe not today. We we'll see. Um, we I am I'm the Marie Kondo of this episode, Eric, and joining me is Matt Moore, Steve, and Hawk. How's it going, boys? Hi. I'm the Hi. best Hi. that Marie Kondo cleans up. Are you? Yes. Hey. yes. Well, you know, like we start every episode. We check in with these fine gents and see what they're enjoying right now, what they're liking, what is good. Let us <sighs> start with Matt Moore. Just okay. with that, with that sound, let's start with Matt. I, like, Moore. Oh, I thought you were going to say it. Mine. I thought you were going to say it, and I was just, I was ready. For I it. never say it anymore. I just say it after someone else says it, Hawk. Yeah, you taught Jen <laughs> that one. I've not heard the end of it in a long time. So thank yeah. you all for that so much. Um, what's good? Um, yeah, things are, things are good. I mean, it's, it's nice outside. Birds are singing, uh, sun Too is early. shining, rain rains occasionally. So we aren't in the middle of a heat wave, which is gosh, so nice up here. Cause I'm a big dude and I don't like sweating. It's not my, not my wheelhouse. Nope. Um, no, I've been playing a, a, a fair chunk of Warzone cause, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I enjoy that game a lot. It you got a plunder count. win, which was wonderful. I got a couple plunder wins actually. I've, Have been, you nice? I've been getting better at that. I just unlocked reins yesterday, which I was very excited about. I don't know what that is. That's it's a the, operator. It was the, it? Oh. He's the LMG operator. Oh, the LMG guy. Five hundred okay, LMG yeah. kills in, in multiplayer to unlock them, and it was the only way you could unlock them. I'm like, okay, I'm doing it, and I committed to it. And I'm like, oh right, all my LMGs are at one, so this is gonna suck. Yeah, <laughs> but it was double weapon XP weekend, so it was all good. Yeah. Yeah, that actually is the only thing that helped that helped me uh, level up a lot of them. I've been leveling up shotguns now because um, yeah. I don't want I don't want to pay for oh, the that's so fun. I don't want to pay for so the Texan. Fun. Yeah, I don't want to pay for the Texan pack. I want to build it myself. I'm yeah. almost there. oh for sure. Yeah, I just yeah. need to get the the sawed off stock and I'll be happy. The um, what was I doing in Call of Duty? Oh yeah, last night I had uh, my buddy jumped in into it for the first time on PC and I was like, nice. yeah, yeah, let's go into Warzone, blah blah blah, and then Blizzard got a DDoS attack. So their servers were down for hours. Oh, no. So I was just saying, I was like, well, I'm glad we got to jump out of the plane and then get booted out of the okay. game. Okay. I was wondering what happened last <laughs> night because I was I was having a lot of issues with, with that yeah. last night. It was so stupid. and I thought it was just my computer, my, uh, my internet connection was being dodgy because it was being dodgy nope. yesterday. No, people no. were upset with them, I guess, and DDoS them. But that is no, that, nice. that is the way with uh, the internet. That's the well, So um, let's... Yeah. yeah. Other, other than that, the other thing I've been doing, I'll I'll say this now and I'll out myself. I don't really care. Um, I I I sort of slowly edged my way into a, a TikTok community. Uh, of, I I follow of, you oh, on TikTok. Years. What was that? <laughs> I follow you on TikTok. I understand. Which which one of me do you follow? Because I have two different I profiles. I don't on know. There. I think I follow both of you them. Follow the pro- no, You only follow the one. You don't. I haven't told you about yeah. the other one yet. I don't know. Fun. Uh, I don't go on TikTok I, I, that I much. am for those that follow TikTok, and I'll, I'll do this shamelessly. I don't even care. I am part of the TikTok wrestling community. Um, I am yeah. part of the TikTok wrestling federation. Uh, I have created <laughs> a persona that for uh, for promo battles, which is really I fun. Definitely do not have you. I, that's <laughs> I'm like I know you wouldn't because you, you wouldn't oh, be saying, "Oh, I know this." I'm like, "No, you don't." <laughs> Um, it's shameless. I'll plug it at the end of the show though, if you want. No, I want plug to. it now. Plug it now. And at yeah, the end of the show, do, do both. Okay. I got to find the name of the super, the super profile. Uh, not the super profile. Cause it's not stupid. I think it's awesome. I don't really care if other people disagree with me. Because- I very much enjoy TikTok. Um, as an old man who doesn't understand technology, yeah. um, 
I find it okay, I find it, it funny. There's a lot of funny things. There's a lot of good yeah. creators on it. It reminds me of there was another short form social media type thing a, a number Vine. of years ago. Vine. It was Vine, Vine, yeah. It reminds yeah, me of Vine. Vine. It's basically just Vine Redux. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um so yeah, if you want to follow my my wrestling persona, it's that KG, T H A T K G on TikTok. Pimp it again at the end of it. Um, I've got a couple matches. What's your persona name? That is the persona name. Oh, KG. Well, I'm not going to tell you. You have to go on and find out your for yourself. I can't That's talk. Fair. I, That's I can't fair. talk out of character about the character that it is. That, that um, totally cool. Well, any, anyone that's a fan of like '90s, early thousands wrestling will totally get where I'm going with it. Um, well, the upside is a lot of the people that are on there are young and they don't get it, so I'm just enjoying this a lot. Well, the irony that that you're using TikTok to talk about wrestling from the <laughs> from before these people were born uh, uh, <laughs> well there's a lot of there's a lot of modern wrestlers on there too that, yeah that there's a bunch of wrestlers on there tons. Yeah. um and as long as you get to say bones oh, i'll be happy <laughs> i'm the bones uh, no, no but one of the actually one of the the judges for the federation is a a creator who goes by the handle of macho fan sandy ravage oh so my god that's nice. amazing nice. he's and I'm, I'm flat out i'll give him the shout out so if you uh if you decide to follow him tell him that i sent you there and it'll confuse him because he's like i think i know who that guy is but i don't know but not really. No, no one Let, really knows who I am because I actually haven't shown my face at all on the on the that uh, character yet. I've just it's just been my voice. I like it. I hope I get to see you in a luchador mask of some sort. Anyway, let's go yeah. to our own luchador in this uh, in this podcast. Steve, what are you like <laughs> right now? I actually have a luchador mask. Actually, I should. Uh, I I'm it. not surprised, my uh, friend. Well, it was a gift. It was a gift, but. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to start calling you Excalibur from now on. Yeah, I don't know. Every week I feel like I don't have much to say, so uh, it's always the same old because I'm very boring, and the day I actually have something really cool to tell everyone, it'll be a, a lovely, lovely day. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm not doing too much. I'm, I'm kind of like uh, I'm kind of doing the bare minimum in COD right now, at, uh, still enjoying it, but not not, not grinding, not, not hitting it as hard as I used to. Uh, mm-hmm. Might switch over to the For Honor. We'll see how this week's uh, update goes for yeah. Uh, Warzone. Because, um, yeah. yeah, they've got a battle pass over there, too. Kind of want to, kind of want to take care of both if I can. Have you gotten and, any uh, more wins uh, this in uh, Warzone? In the no, Warzone? no, not really. Uh, I, I was only doing the plunder just to level things up. I haven't really been yeah. playing it competitively, so um, yeah, yeah I'm going to have to do some BR at some point. So we'll see how that goes. But I mean, you guys are all the pros now, man. Yeah. The wins. Well, I mean, once I the some, uh, like once the patch comes out, they're adding, they're going to add a whole bunch of stuff to it. That's going to just shake things up a bit too. I think they need to because a lot of people are are really familiar with the layout of everything. So they have to do a shakeup now. There, there is some issue in season four. There seems to be a lot of cheaters now since the, yes. the big update in the last, what was it? Like, yeah. Two weeks ago or a week ago, mm. two weeks ago, I guess. Um, okay. There, yeah, there been, have been a lot been some, of some, I'm using quotation fingers, glitches with characters that should not be happening. Like well, I just, there's, there's, there's a right shield. The sh- the riot shield uh, glitch apparently is pretty bad where you can just like insta kill people. Right. Um, there's there's there was one match. It was just a couple of days ago, where I was the uh, um, I had taken the king of the hill, not king of the hill, the most wanted, uh, yeah. thing. So I was on top of the the airport roof, and you know how mm-hmm. wide yeah. it or I was I was I wasn't that I was far away from enough people to not get sniped. Yes, but from uh, superstore, 
a team wiped us out using not ARs. Possible. Not ARs. possible. ARs. So yeah, we're sitting there like, not, yeah. assault rifles are killing us? Yeah, that's not possible from, yeah. that, from that angle. Yeah. That's not possible. No, that's no. that's total. That's all hacks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we were just sitting there like, I don't understand. It was all, um, what is the grouse? Too. I was like, how? Oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's getting that nerfed tomorrow. That's getting nerfed tomorrow, too. Yeah, the, the anyway. Busting things. Yeah, and then uh, just because, uh, you know, been driving around a little bit more, I'm getting back to my audiobook. So, you know, getting nice. my uh, my weekly push for, you know, Horace Heresy. Although it's kind of funny, uh, as I've been going through this series, uh, people don't know there's a lot of characters. And um, so I've been making my way slowly, you know, getting acquainted with characters that I actually never gave a crap about. And I've always been impressed at how these authors managed to take them in you know, cool places, uh, just, and make them actually interesting to me. And uh, apparently there's one that actually wasn't handled that well in the series. So I hadn't actually run into that character yet, but basically where they're at in this, this 50 plus novel, you know, epic is, uh, they're kind of at the end now. And that's like something called the siege of terror. It's like the invasion of earth. And uh, that's going to take two years to finish. It's going to be six, seven books, maybe five, six, I don't remember. Um, but they actually released another set on the side, um, concerning uh, the 18 main characters, we'll say. You know, I don't want to get into it. And apparently, um, one author actually took this one character that had been actually mishandled in the bulk of the series and mm-hmm. actually wrote a book that somehow fixes, like actually doesn't retcon anything, but explains some of the um, erratic writing, let's say, you know, that took place mm-hmm. before. So so I've decided to start with that book, the last book on the character. <laughs> so I don't, I don't get, you know, totally like, you know, upset by like the, you know, the, the actual, you know, order. But anyway, so that's, that's pretty much all I'm up to. That, nice. that sounds awesome. Um, it reminds me of, uh, this is going to be a weird segue. Um, there was news about Star Wars is doing this giant book series. They they want to do like a connected one where there's a lore master right. and it's sure. like hundreds oh, a of lore more. master. Oh. Or, or, I know, right? What a thought concept. That was- Steve, they've been <laughs> listening to you. I know. Or maybe they're they're going back to the old version where they actually had a lore person for the old Star Wars stuff. Um weird. Anyway, what a concept. For yeah. um for the High Republic, um, they just announced what what it's about or why that series is happening and it's called the great disaster and basically it's an event that happens right at the beginning of the series where um this ship dissolves in hyperspace so sort of like the holder maneuver where you see that ship get broken apart but in Mm -hmm. hyperspace so it starts flinging off into different planets oh Um, that's fun so they're Mm. landing in basically because there's no central ruling core mm. for the jedis they're all on planets sort of ah. like, they're sort of like um if you want to go to the western they're sort of like uh sheriffs and stuff they're just in different they're scattered pockets. around they're everywhere. scattered around and there's there's no one really controlling them but they're like peacekeepers and stuff because there's no sith so there's nothing really connecting Wait, them where in the timeline is the high uh, uh this is 232 years before the battle of yavin okay all right so really they're there's just like they're out there being humanitarians yeah. they're helping uh, outposts build and you know right. look, they're 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 more like cowboys and stuff back yeah, then. Yeah, they're like rangers. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So they talked about that uh, recently because everything got pushed back, but they want to keep you know interest. Um, I mean, that that's not my that's, that, yeah, it's not my joy, but uh, or not my joy. That's yeah. not my uh, <laughs> my yum. yum. Yeah, thanks. There, there it is. Well, wow. hey, hey, you and I, Matt, we survived it uh, until they said it, so we're good. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, Hawk, what's your what's your what are you liking? Uh, nothing too big or exciting. Uh, mostly just been playing The Last of Us Part Two. 
Uh, uh, I think I've hit a bit of a wall with it the other night, though, and I, I got to the Hillcrest part. I think you know. Where I that, know where you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, and uh, <sighs> they've, added a, they've added a new complication <laughs> with the dogs. They, uh, okay, so so I'm gonna. This is also my 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 yum of the week. Um, you son of a yum. <laughs> I, I said it only because Hawk <laughs> has said it already, so I'm just gonna I continue it. Throw him sure, under the bus. Sure. I will always throw him under the bus. Anyway, the line. this is the biggest issue I have with the Last of Us. Like, I love the game. I think it's phenomenal. Um, if you've talked to me about the Last of Us, the original one, and how the technology and the story building for the the last one at the end of the PS3's life sort of showcased what the PS3 could do. This mm-hmm. is what it's doing for the PS4 right now. Even though next month we're going to have another game that'll even catapult uh, Ghost of Tsushima. Anyway, oh, yeah, yeah. so about, I think this is day, is it day two of Seattle? Yeah, day two in Seattle. Uh, you're looking for Tommy right now. Yeah, so there, you're... Um, you, you've come up against these other survivors. I'm not. I'm going to be as vague as possible, but okay. they have attack dogs. So oh, nice. So you are you are killing dogs, and it really is quite it's quite vicious. And I, I don't I don't mind killing these like a hole like humans, but when I have mm-hmm. to kill a dog who's just been trained to hunt you, I feel bad. Yeah. I feel really bad. Yeah. And that's the weird thing about this game. It just it's takes you to this heightened sense of reality in that. I, I like I dropped into it one night and uh, I didn't even realize I spent four hours in that trying to make my way underneath the subways and that and encountering a brand uh, a brand yep. new kind of uh, mutant uh, infected called shamblers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. shamblers. Uh, um, there is this heightened sense of reality because you're just like you know cause, again you're looking for supplies. You're looking your ammo is precious mm-hmm. and. You know, now uh, at this point you're on your own, and <laughs> this, this this game it's it's phenomenal. Like so far as far as I've gone in it, I re- I very much enjoy it. Um, I think mm-hmm. the story is brutal. It's it's very painful. Yeah. It's a it's a sad but good game. Well, I mean, they, the first part wasn't exactly an upper. I can't imagine the second part being any better. Yeah, there there's a Penny Arcade um, comic that was released <laughs> just around the release of the game, and they're like, "Are you gonna pick it up?" And the other guy's like, well, I cried all the way through the first one, so I don't think I can handle that during the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's fair. That's like, fair. I appreciate you releasing, you know, great gaming content for people, but like maybe pick your spots on it, guys. Mm-hmm. It is, it is a, it is a, it is, it is good. Yeah. It is, it is painful, but good. The gameplay is phenomenal. They, they up, they upped everything. Um, the combat, I, I sent Hawk a video of, this one guy doing combat against these humans, and I don't understand how he could move the way he did because mm. I, when I'm up in against other humans, it's like throw throw a brick, run away, run away. Mm. <laughs> yeah, panic Try, mode sets in. <laughs> panic. But this yeah. guy was like jumping all over the place or like leaping backwards and shooting people in the head like i shoot people in the head but i try and say he was he was so much more vicious about it it was like throw a molotov and that uh do a dive to the floor you know fire off one shot and that to get a guy out from cover uh another guy throw another molotov shoot him in the leg i totally forgot you can shoot people in the leg in this game yeah Um, until i saw that video finish him off with a melee move the melees are so vicious brutal well, sure. <laughs> well, you think how much time's passed since the first one. They've had nothing to do but train, so... Uh, Hawk, yeah. let me know when you finish the hospital, because okay. 
the last scene in that <laughs> makes you do something, and I'm just like, ah, well, shit. <laughs> shit. I'm kind of glad I'm not playing this game right now. Honestly, my I mood, I don't think I could. I don't think I could handle it. There, yeah. I'm, enjo- there, I'm enjoying the hell out of it, but at the same time, I gotta take. I gotta take nightly breaks. Away you from have it. to take a break from it, uh, just because. Well, and then jump in the war zone and kill. Yeah. <laughs> With impunity, that's the trick. I feel yes, nothing. For, I feel nothing in that game. That's why you know it's it's a yeah. it's a great de-stressor. Last of Us mm. Part Two. Ammo was precious. Scrounging for supplies. Warzone. Throw bullets at everyone. Yeah, laugh yeah. when you screw somebody over the landmine. It's so yeah. good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, the C fouring of people is so funny. I love it. I got a helicopter to helicopter team wipe in a game. Nice. And it was my favorite moment because I just shot that's- it out of. By accident, not by accident, but I was like, I'm not gonna hit them. Obviously, I'm in a yeah. helicopter. But with a C4 or with what? No, with with the RPG. But oh, we were nice. far enough. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, I team wiped yeah. them, and I was just like, what happened? And I started crying, laughing, just because yeah. <laughs> you don't. What expect happened? That. Awesome! Like, where's my screen record? I know, and I was like, and you know how, the, how fucking finicky yeah. the PS4 screen record is. So oh, by yeah. the time I got the menu up, it, it was like it couldn't. It didn't save it. Was it. I was like, long fuck gone. You. Yeah. Fuck you, Dan. Yeah. No, that actually has more to do with Warzone, I've noticed. Warzone, especially, it has a really hard time giving any other resources to the machine. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, even Last of Us, to be honest, I think any game now is just like, nope, mm. we can't do mm. it. We're, we're, we're using everything from the PS4 yeah. right now. Um, the look only time. Me, look at me. <laughs> I am the PS4 now. The only yeah. time I can take a picture in The Last of Us is if I go into, into the photo mode. That's the only time it'll be like, okay, I'll take a couple seconds to take a picture. Well, I think that's the, I mean, because the, these games were designed to really push those systems to their limit to showcase everything that was possible right before mm-hmm. they launched the new system. Yeah. And it makes some sense because then you're like, you know, like as much as these things were great on this system, here's the new system. All Everything's upgunned and everything runs faster and smoother and cleaner. For those of yeah. us that get frustrated with these things, it's like, well, that's an incentive to buy it because you're like, yeah. I would love to have this work even better on this system. Yeah, I look forward to the PS5 because I think The Last of Us 2 and Ghost of Tsushima are both free upgrades to the oh, PS5. They so, would have to be. The, the last two, the last two mm. big flagships on the 4, mm. they can't not have it for 5. Anyway, I think that's, uh, I, that, that is my thing that i've yum. been enjoying just say it it's your yum yeah <laughs> i'm trying to be nice um no, it, 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 that, that was my that was my yum the last of us part two and it is it is quite good um it is hard um everything seems good so far we'll find out when i finish it but it it, it is it is emotionally draining <laughs> to, to put it lightly to that entire statement i say phrasing and I say, let's get to the news because we <laughs> need to go over this really fast. Just this is just some stuff that we've uh, I found interesting over the past couple of weeks since our last episode. Anyway, ahead of the DC Fandom event in August, Bloomberg is reporting that Warner Brothers Interactive are gearing up to announce two major video game titles at that event. The first is a big budget open world Harry Potter game. The second is the next game in the Batman Arkham Asylum series, which is largely mm. rumored to be centered around the Court of Owls storyline. Yeah, they've been hinting at that for a while. Yeah. Disney Plus continues to release more teasers and clips from their Hamill film, and I am here for it right now. Fuck yes. The film version of the stage show of the original Broadway cast hits the streaming service on July 3rd. 
surprise, surprise, in the wake of the coronavirus and the steady rise in numbers in the States, Mulan, Tenet, Bill and Ted 3, and a number of other films have been pushed back further in the summer. Mm. Big surprise. Wasn't uh, Bill and Ted pushed up first? Didn't they yep. push it closer? <laughs> and and, and then they saw the numbers and they were like, nope, let's push it yeah, back then again. They did the math and realized, ah, we don't want to do that. That was a gamble. I mean, they were jostling for, you know, if, if the theaters actually opened, right? Yeah. Now they're yeah, openings, yeah. right? So it makes sense. Now yeah. they're openings and there's, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. jumping off those, that film news, the Broadway League, which represents the producers, announced that the shutdown of Broadway productions will continue until 2021. Which yeah. is crazy, and but you know, real. for the safety it's, of people, right? It's realistic and it's safe. It's safe for the audience. It's safe for the performers. It's safe for the staff. It's just you. They it's, need to it, be in a position yeah. where people can safely gather in larger numbers, and they're not there yet. Yes, and these actors do need help. Like, um, if you are able, uh, donate to the Actors Fund. They help actors, musicians, anyone in um, you know arts positions that will require help during this time. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. NBC has pulled scenes and episodes from two of its most popular comedies of the past two decades. The first is a scene from 2012's Dwight Christmas episode of The Office, which was removed because a character appeared in blackface. So that scene has been edited out. And then Netflix has removed the 14th episode of the second season of Community, the famed Advanced Dungeons and Dragons episode where Ken Jeong's Chang dons dark makeup and a white wig to portray a dark elf. <laughs> Yes. Okay. So they pulled stupid. the whole episode, which uh, that's stupid. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. That's like that's not racism. That's literally how that those characters were depicted in media, novels, cartoons, yeah. games. Like, no, that's that's stupid. I'm sorry. That's dumb. I can see where they're going, but yeah, I think it, that that was. That, no, that, I, 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 I can see why they honestly. did it. Like, I can see the optics on it, but I, I think that was. I, yeah. I, I, the optics are there for pe- for someone that does a screenshot and shows it out of context, and yeah. no one knows what's going on. But also, it that what what, what year was that episode out? Uh, twenty twelve or twenty so, so twenty twelve. I think eight eight nine years since that came out, and and would trust me. That was one of the what the second season that yep. came out. I'm pretty mm. sure if they were being racist. Anyone in that cast would have called them out for that. And they make a joke about, they actually make a joke about it. Um, uh, What's her name? Shirley. Shirley (laughs) looks over at him and is like, anyone, uh, we're just going to let this hate crime go? Yeah. (laughs) Which is, you know, they they mentioned it. Anyway. Uh, I appreciate it. Because it's so absurd, right? I mean, that's why. Yeah. I I appreciate the logic on it. I think that's foolish. Mm. But that's me. And uh, I'm not NBC. Yeah, fair. Um, talking to EW about its 10th anniversary, beloved filmmaker Edgar Wright has teased that he has been talking to Scott Pilgrim versus the world creator Brian Leo Malley about creating an animated version of the series in a film form or a cartoon form. We don't know if it's a series or not. He doesn't know. They haven't they haven't announced. So that'll that'd be cool. Um, Always good to bring more attention to the original series, the original graphic novels. It's true, especially since the ending was was so different. They uh, they actually mm. wrote the ending of the film before Brian Lee O'Malley had finished his final sure. Sure. run of it. So they're quite different, and they're both quite good. Anyway, mm-hmm. hey, remember Quibi, the streaming service made for cell phones? <laughs> they have just released a celebrity homemade fan film version of Rob Reiner's classic, The Princess Bride. Filmmaker mm-hmm. Jason Reitman has proposed the idea and recruited uh, dozens of celebrities to work on this project, which would raise funds for the World Central Kitchen Charity. 
Rob Reiner himself takes the role of late Peter Falk um, as mm-hmm. the role of the grandfather, and Fred Savage will reprise his role as the grandson 33 <laughs> years later. No. It, <laughs> um, the project also stars Jennifer Garner, Joe Jonas, Sophie Turner, Common, Tiffany Haddish, Neil Patrick Harris, David Burtka, Chris Pine, Annabelle Wallace, Hugh Jackman, J.K. Simmons, Elijah Wood, John Hamm, Beamy Fieldman, Lucas Hedges, Jenna Ortega, Jack Black, David Oye Lowo, God, I said that wrong. Keegan Michael mm-hmm. Key, Ari Graynor, Patton Oswald, Josh Gad, Andy Circus, Diego Luna, David Spade, Brandon Routh, Courtney Ford, Don Johnson, Ari Grainer, Dave Batista, Dennis Haber, Thomas Lennon, Rain Wilson, Jason Siegel, Stephen Merchant, Mackenzie Davis, Taika Watiti, Patton Oswald, and Zazie Beats. I, I don't Everyone. remember there being that many people in it. Are they all playing similar, like the yeah, same roles? Yeah, except, yeah they're, oh, so they're okay, all playing. Okay. Yeah. So right, I was like, like that, that's three <laughs> times as many people as they need. That doesn't make any sense. Okay, all right. So well, for example, um, uh, Sophie Turner and Joe Jonas. So they're married. So they're mm-hmm. they're doing the scene in the in the swamp, in the marshes right. yeah. with the right. with the you know the rats. Okay, that makes sense now. Okay. And Sophie, that's extraordinary size. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sophie plays um, Buttercup. No, no, the other one, the guy, um, Wesley. Wesley. So so you know, so they gender swapped, and then they got their uh, dog to play the rodent of uh, you know the big rodent. Nice. That's anyway, hilarious. It's it's not bad. It's surprisingly funny. Uh, but it's That'd not gonna cute. make it's not gonna make me keep my Quibi su- subscription. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yes, which is a sentence being said more and more every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, they're losing so much money. Anyway, that brings me to the final news <laughs> section, or something I would like to call the Matt Moore rant. So, <laughs> oh, this is like- a segment. Now. I like this segment. It takes takes <laughs> pressure <laughs> off of me. <laughs> so You're welcome, Steve. It looks like Steven, or Steven, <laughs> sorry, that was because of you, Steve. So it looks like Christopher Nolan has teamed up with Fortnite for a movie night, which offered a limited screening of either Inception, Batman Begins, or The Prestige directly in Fortnite. Uh, this happened last Friday, but, oh, damn, because of someone's technical mistake, the film was not available in Canada. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is a new thing where they're just, they've done it before, but... Mm-hmm. They just seems like but ex- still- explain explain why they're doing this. It's just they're 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 just doing it so that they can because Chris Nolan said Chris Nolan has tenant is and he said his film should always be enjoyed in theaters with groups of people. Which so he, they found a way to get everyone together on Fortnite to sit down and watch these movies in advance of the release of Tenant. Yeah, yeah. So and so help me God. <laughs> If they decide to announce, and I, I'm going to go on record as saying this now, if they announce that the world premiere of Tenant is on goddamn Fortnite, which would not going to happen, why wouldn't? Why wouldn't? But, it be? but well, I can I can totally see them doing like here's a deleted scene or here's yeah. a prelude yeah, or, or before like, the movie with the, with, uh, the Dark Knight. No, yeah, exactly. No, the first yeah. five minutes in IMAX because yeah. they wanted people to get the, the film. Yeah. That's a thing that he's done in the past. It makes total sense that he would do something along the lines with Tenant on this platform. They're not going to put the whole movie it's, out though. No, no, no. no. They, well, they may or may not. You never know. Like again, it's because again, you can, you can subscribe. There's some subscription series to Fortnite, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. There's like a battle pass or battle something. Pass. Yeah, but this this was little, available to backwards. everyone. I think no, this- I'm saying there's, there's a way, there is a way that you can exchange money for goods and services in Fortnite. Yeah. It would not surprise sure. me if it's V-Bucks. Yes. Like, 
here's a, you pay for this pass and you can go see the movie. Like you can basically buy a ticket to go see the movie in Fortnite. It wouldn't shock me. It would disgust and disappoint me, but it would not shock me at this point because realistically <laughs> Hollywood is, is kind of scrambling. The longer this goes on, they're scrambling to find ways to get eyes on films. And they have these films sitting in, in the tank that they may or may not be able to release generally in theaters. So mm. it makes some sense to try to find the, the best method of, of launching these things to the public and still garner some kind of income. Yeah. It's not ideal. There's no good way for them to do this other than video on demand, which they have seen and proven can work. It just, it just seems like a little bit of an extra step because I agree. Like, yeah, I mean, the movie industry is going to have to do something, right? They can't just sit in their hands sure. forever. But yeah. at the same time, we can already stream movies. So why would they take that extra step to stream it in the video game? Like, that I'm just sure Fortnite money. is giving them money. The it's thing money. That's, yeah. Yeah, it's money. The thing that will bother me is if they do something like The Rise of Skywalker, where there's like oh. a plot point or something that you can't see anywhere else. But again, and you have you to go into a fucking It wouldn't shock me. No, that's the thing that bothers me. That, like, we they, talked about, we've talked about this before. It wouldn't surprise me if they did that. Where like there's some yeah. tie-in, direct tie-in connection with the game because they did, they've already done that. Like they had a promotional tool do that and it didn't lose the money. I mean, the movie still made some money, so it didn't cause them. And like, we didn't even know about it till what three months after the fact. Uh, no, yeah, I, I didn't realize until Steve no. told me about it. Yeah, no, no, I knew about it, not right away. I missed it yeah. before the movie, but I did find out like shortly after. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like, it was, uh, it was a thing where like, no, no one, none of us were aware of yeah, it before. We don't play there, Fortnite. <laughs> there was no articles no. I ever read about that happening before the movie because we mm. would have stumbled upon it beforehand. Yeah. So the fact that they did that and it was able to be kept quiet. It's not, it wouldn't surprise me if we see more companies jumping on that, not necessarily with Fortnite, but just jumping on that kind of a bandwagon because it's really easy to throw in some code to a game and then get people's eyes on your film. It's disgusting, I think. I do think do that there, it, it is a little bit of a, I, I, do, I do agree with you, Matt. I think the future is unfortunately going to be happening more and more on it on the virtual side as long as like yes. you know as long as they keep things balanced you know they don't like ignore the real world yeah. uh i'd be fine with it but yes I, I i mean the fact that you can put advertising into video games and they're mm -hmm. doing it more and more is that's just going to yeah. be normal you know what honestly if i go back to what i said when i went on my rant about uh, the the skywalker thing i don't care if they're going to do it i applaud them for their innovation but god damn it let the general public know you're doing it so that people have a, if nothing else, it's beneficial for both platforms. You get eyes on yeah. whatever you're doing for the product that's being promoted and the platform that they're doing it on, whether it's Fortnite or whatever game gets extra, even if people download it, watch that and then delete it, doesn't matter. Yeah, it's that very release poorly it, promoted. Yeah, release it to it the masses promoted. at least, right? Like, well, or, yeah. or, just, or release it after the, like, release yeah. it two days after the fact so that those that weren't online or don't have the game or don't want to load it can watch it and appreciate it too. Because then you give a, like, people that are playing it that have the ability to jump on it whatever time you're launching it, see it, and they get the first crack at it. And yeah, we're awesome. Rebel, rebel. Yeah. And then the rest of us schmoes that might actually have something better to do with our time can watch it at our leisure, <laughs> like, you know, 48 hours after the fact that's all i ask we we know what we want as a crossover right the promotion we want uh warzone mixed with tom hanks greyhound so we have the war film and the the war game together and then we get boats in warzone i like it see i'm this i'm is, amazed yeah. <laughs> i'm not even amazed it's i shouldn't say amazed it's one of those that if they'd had if they had known i think back in december where things were going 
they could have used um, what was Nolan's film that came out 1940, the war film that won Dunkirk. 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 Not Dunkirk. That was a couple of years ago. The other one. Not maybe it was no the big war movie that came out this 1917? year. 1917. Yeah. 17. Mendes. Sorry, I don't know. Yeah, no, I got the two confused. Mendes could have had they could have had a crossover that with Warzone, if yep. you want to get fancy with it. Yeah. Well, I think they should they should just open up the stadium in Verdansk and uh and, and put a movie on the screen and I think we'll all be really happy about yeah. that. Right on you top. Jumbotron, right? We go. You know what? It wouldn't shock me if something like that like that were to happen. I know, I know. That's why I'm saying summer. it. <laughs> this is why I helicopters know, honestly, kept on getting shot down there. <laughs> honestly, uh, that for me would be a really cool thing. And again, I'm sure people that are beyond Fortnite are all saying that about that too. And I think that's a very cool way to do it. Just let us know. Let people know. I just want to see Tom Hanks in uh in Warzone. That's all I want. Oh, there's an, op- there's an operator skin that I don't know if I can handle. Well, they've, they've got Tom Cruise in Battlefield 5, so anything's possible. That's fair. People play Battlefield 5? Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, well, some people. <laughs> no um, anyway, let's let's go on to the main topic because yeah, we've been recording nice for a while and we got to get in there. And, you know, after that, rant, get- after that rant, we need to bring some joy into our lives. Um, Ooh, so if you remember segue. way back, way back when I started this uh, episode, we talked, uh, I made mention of Marie Kondo, who's also known as Kanmari, the famous organizing consultant who may be best known for her phrase, does that bring you joy? Does it? Mm-hmm. If not, you throw it out. Anyway, since we're in mm-hmm. these quarantine crazy times, we thought we'd talk about movies that spark joy, our film versions of comfort food, if you will. So we're going to go around the circle, present our film, give a brief, brief hawk description yeah. of the film. <laughs> I like his, I like his. I know. I I'm, just, I'm, Hawk. I'm the one that never shuts up about movies. I just, I just like, I just like uh, screwing with Hawk. Uh, talk about what makes it special, you know, why, what, what we saw it the first time or when we saw it and what makes us happy, a scene or two that makes us smile. So I'm going to start because fuck you, it's my episode. Let's begin <laughs> way back in 1989 with Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Nice. The film was directed by Steven. Sorry, <laughs> the film was directed by Steven Spielberg from a script by Jeffrey Bohm based on a story by George Lucas. The film stars Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones, Sean Connery as his father, Professor Henry Jones, Den Home Elliot as Marcus Brody, John Race Davies as Sala, Allison Duty as Elsa, Julian Glover as Walter Donovan, and a young River Phoenix as young Indiana Jones. Oh yes, yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, that was a huge deal. I, it was. That was good. the that was the last film role he ever had, if I'm not mistaken. It was one of them. I can't remember if it was the final, final one. Um, So this movie happens in 1938 after uh, Indiana Jones's father, Professor Henry Jones, goes missing while pursuing the Holy Grail. Indiana goes to find him up and goes up against, you know, the the Nazis again and, um, you know, goes through all these adventures. Um, It's 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 a wonderful film. It is it harkens back to old B movies like George Lucas wanted. And it's, you know, it's one of those movies. I just remember the first time I saw it, um, I never got to see it in theaters. It was 1989. So I was eight. Um, I, I, I was, you know, I, I was old enough to go see it in theaters mm-hmm. because it's PG. Right. Yeah. But um, I, we were moving to St. Catharines from Niagara Falls. And it's not a big move, but it's a big move for our family. Big enough. And, and, you know, we're big Indiana Jones uh, fans. So, I remember we got it as soon as it was on home video and we made a big mm-hmm. deal about it and we watched it together um, because, you know, we're in a new house and everything's so new. Right. 
And mm-hmm. just watching an Indiana Jones film as a, as a unit, it sort of just felt like it felt right. It felt like home. Mm-hmm. So that's what this film sort of reminds me of. It reminds me of, you know, getting settled into what eventually was our family home. And it's it's yeah. it's a movie I'd watch with my mom or my dad or, you know, my sisters whenever, whenever we could just pop it in. It's, it, it is my nice. favorite of the Indiana Jones films. What yeah. do I love about it? What don't I love about it? There's there's nothing I, I, I dislike. The score by John Williams is probably one of my favorite. Yeah. The, the action scenes are, are great. The humor is spot on. Um, it, it's the best of the trilogy of Indiana Jones films. Um, the acting, that was, that was specific, that, that, that wording. The acting is spot on. Casting um, Sean Connery as, as, as Indiana Jones' dad was such yeah. a brilliant, brilliant thing. Because his his acting chops, like his, the way he could play off of Harrison Ford, yeah. was second to none. And we we talk about um, a lot of uh, films are really like, especially these types of films, these action adventure films. What makes it special is that the villains are good, right? Sure, um, yes. they're unique, they're good. Mm-hmm. This one definitely had like there's that proto Nazi uh, general that was hunting them, and yep. then there's yeah. uh, Walter Donovan who was such a greedy slime ball, and mm. he, yeah, he, you could see his motivation, and you just hated him. Like he was yeah. just that that oh the, mm, that American guy, and then and then we get Elsa who's Elsa, yeah. who's greedy, yeah. but like that green eyed greed where she just wanted to discover something and make it. She was own. sort of that gray area where she wasn't yeah. really on board with the Nazis, but she wanted it for the, for the fame and the, yeah. the power. The, the the opportunist. Power, yeah. 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 The uh, fact that they kind of cast her as like the, uh, the Zudo love interest in that, in that yeah. film, not yeah. yeah. usually was occupied by Karen Allen and Kate Capshaw in the first two films. Yeah. And that, but now she's the having a turn, the right? That's such yeah. a yeah. great, great move. Yeah. Um, I know we talked about one or two scenes, but I'm just going to do these really fast. The first, the one that really that reminds me about this film a lot because me and my sisters used to joke about it was when Henry Jones uh, Senior had his umbrella out and was going after the seagulls going, <laughs> and having the seagulls fly up because right. we used to run a, run around and do that noise to each other. Oh. So <laughs> that really reminds me of that scene. It makes me really smile whenever I think about it. Um, the library scene with the stamp. The, the the big the boom oh the boom, boom. yeah uh, where X marks the spot we used to make fun of that all the time when, when we X, had stamps yeah, X never marks the spot yeah. right up until it does exactly um then you got like Hitler signing uh the the notebook um <laughs> the yeah. the scene where Indy and his dad are tied to chairs and there's fire all around them and they keep on mm. looking back and forth from each other and he's like dad, what what dad, what, what? <laughs> um. These 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 sequences just make me smile. Obviously, you can see how big my smile is right now. Obviously, in yeah. this podcast audio form, you can definitely see me smile. And yeah. I think out of all of the Indiana Jones films, the end sequence here at the temple where there's the different trials is probably oh, one of my favorite yeah. things in all of Indiana mm-hmm. Jones, uh, in all of the films. Um, the three different trials, the 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 night at the end, that whole sequence is just it's it's like. It's for phenomenal. me, it's one of those perfect moments on film. I yeah, think it's yeah, so yeah. well done. Um, it's rooted in history and religion, and it's all done from care. And oh, it's it's yeah. beautiful. I, yeah, I, it's I, really, I love this. It's movie. really well constructed movie. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts? This is that's the end of my spiel about I, this film. Um, I have a weird bit of bit of obscure trivia on this. I actually did see this movie in theaters with my family. Nice. 
Uh, we went, we were one of, I think, the last audiences to see this at the Tivoli Theater in Hamilton because it was the last film they ever showed there oh. while it was a movie cinema. So I actually got to see a movie in that theater mm. before it converted over into a into an actual religious performance theater and then subsequently collapsed. Um, so yeah, that's my fun little bit. Of, I remember seeing this in theaters and like in this, in this beautifully old Gothic theater, it was mm. a really cool experience. Uh, for me. Yeah. Cause this was, that was a really big summer. And uh, when you think about it now, cause the same summer yeah. Batman was released. Uh, mm. and I think oh, yeah. Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters two that same year or the same yeah, summer anyways. So. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I totally remember. I can't remember. Which theater I saw it in, and that um, it was either Limeridge Mall or would have been probably the Tivoli. Uh, you know, wow, nice. yeah. uh, yeah. I love this film in the series, and that it's not as dark as the previous two films, and mm-hmm. you don't miss that darkness in that because yeah. there's such a nice, playful mm-hmm. touch with it, and that even with you know. Yeah, uh, even with veiled against like the whole backdrop of like you know the Nazis in '38, and that mm-hmm. it, you know it still ha- retains a lightheartedness, and I think yeah. you know Sean Connery does a lot to add to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it you know it's a standard. It, uh, there, it also a, has yeah. Yep. No, Sorry, go, go. Go. Oh, I was just gonna say there's a there's a joke that Denholm Elliott's um, uh, character says at the end of the film, or not a joke, but he says, "Follow me, I know the way." Oh, he got lost in his own museum, you know that whole thing. So yeah, right, right. when when I'm in War Zone and I'm playing, I'm like, "Follow me, I know the way." It's always <laughs> it's like bad news because I know that I'm going to lead yeah. people to disaster. Right. But <laughs> I'm glad you've explained that now. I won't yeah. be following you anymore. That's good. To know. Yeah, I do good. Uh, I have enough wins now. It also it has my one of my favorite lines. You know, he chose poorly. Yes. Uh, yes, oh, yes, yes, yes. So really, those three words. Anyone that's seen movies, it's, he chose poorly. This is also Steven Spielberg's favorite of the Indiana Jones films. So mm-hmm. that says something. Absolutely. Oh, for yeah. sure. Well, yeah, it's it's the tightest. And um, yeah, I mean, all three films are great in their own mm-hmm. way. But mm-hmm. yeah, I do think that The Last Crusade is the most fun. Yeah. It, and, it uh, felt like the other two had been building towards this. So it really did feel sure. like the the final third chapter of the, mo- of yeah. the series. I wish they'd yeah. make more of them. Yeah, um, yeah. exactly. No, I don't know. I think no, I'm no. happy with, you know what? I think I'm, everything should just be a trilogy. Three yeah. Star Wars movies, well, three that's Lord what of the Rings like, movies. I, I really wish they would make you know make that's a fourth all. Indiana Jones film because you know three was yeah, nice, but exactly. it's very fourth. It, no, it was also no, great. Leave it yeah. at three. Yeah, it was also great because because it being the last film, it reunited Indiana Jones with you know two of the heroes from the first movie. It, mm-hmm. it had Sala and it had Marcus Brody, which you didn't get in the second yeah. film. True, true. No, because the second one was really a prequel more than yeah. anything yeah, else. Yeah, it, it was two years earlier. Yeah. Yeah, no, the comedies was really, uh, really bang on too. like you're saying, Mm -hmm. like, you know, like Sean Connery really added a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, warmth and uh, and humor to it, you know, and uh, and just all those great actors just playing off each other. You know, I mean, of course, I remember my favorite line is that you're you're named after the dog, right? I mean, (laughs) just uh, uh, yeah, it's a good I have very fond memories of that dog. Yeah, they had some really, <laughs> they had some really cool like little tidbits that they added into the film. Like at the beginning when they had young Indy and he was using yes. the whip for the first time and he yep. hits himself. Like you get this the scar that so Harrison expl- Ford has yeah. on his face for such like just be, oh, for being Harrison God, Ford. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah it, it's so well done. Like I love this film to to no end. Uh, it was really cool to see uh, Harrison Ford and Sean Connery kind of share idiosyncratic traits amongst yeah. each other is the way they delivered stuff the way they reacted to things you could you very much got a father-son dynamic where you could see where the things that connery did influenced 
stuff that you know indie did later yeah. on it was very very it was yeah, yeah so wonderfully well thought out and well directed which mm-hmm. is the thing that we don't say about george lucas that often yeah when george lucas and steven spielberg had talked to harrison ford about the the role um they were talking about how they wanted indiana jones to be the james bond of the archaeological world so they, <laughs> they pulled a lot from sean connery's james bond because you know he was the best um mm, yeah and you know you get to see that it's just that's that's amazing well it's brilliant yeah which is, um, you know, would explain again why they'd want to have Sean Connery come in as the dad, because... Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Nice, nice. Um, all right, let's move on to our next. Let's go down to Hawk, because I was giving him so much shit. Let's go with him next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, my choice for comfort film uh, would have been 1990's Miller's Crossing, uh, the fourth film outing by the Coen brothers, starring Gabriel Byrne, uh, Marcia Gay Harden, John Turturro, John Polito. Uh, J.E. Freeman and Albert Finney. Uh, plot's very simple. Uh, uh, a power struggle between two rival gangs and a, a protagonist, Tom Regan, played by Gabriel Byrne, playing both sides of them. Uh, it's set in an yeah. unknown city back during Prohibition. Uh, it touches on so many like old gangster films and in, in its use of dialogue and quick, snappy uh, back and forth. Uh, I saw this on video probably... 1991 i'm guessing and it's always stuck with me and it's a movie like i can just sit through every time it's on in fact like last night uh i was looking for scenes to send you guys through the message format and uh i ended up watching a really like uh a youtube uh a uh, crappy version yeah. of it on youtube like from uh-huh. beginning to end <laughs> <laughs> It had this terrible watermark right in the center of it. It was just like a kind of a little light burst oh, in that. So, yeah. <laughs> again, it didn't matter because you can just sit through it and just listen mm. to the dialogue. It's uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, Ooh, Marsha Gray Harden is in this. Yeah, yes, she is. She I plays Verna Bonbon. <laughs> there's so many great performances in it, but there is one in particular in that from uh, uh, John Turturro in that he plays uh, 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 Bernie Bonbon in that uh, a Jewish uh, bookie. Who is uh, who? Uh, John Polito's uh, Johnny Casper wants dead because he keeps selling out his information on these fixed fights, uh, mm. and there is a scene of him being taken out to the middle of the woods uh, uh, to be executed, and his performance is just so amazing and over the top. There's no bravery in it. It is yeah. just a man pleading for his life, and he, it, I, I believe he was nominated for it as supporting actor for it because sounds it, right. It, yeah, it, it still st- it still stood out to me when I first saw it, and like when you know, it still stands out today. It's is this fantastic. based on a true story or no? No, it's it's oh. it. Uh, from I was just reading up a little bit about it, and uh, I think uh, one of the influences was some old. Uh, 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 some book from 1931. <laughs> so it's not a true story in that. No. It's it's, ba- it's based around gangster movies of the past, uh, filtered through the Coen Brothers style. Yeah, um, that's crazy. That's, yeah. Apparently, the Coen Brothers turned down Batman because it would it would have interfered with this film, the 1989 yeah, was, Batman. That's messed up. Uh, it's crazy. According to yeah, according to like a wiki. Uh, this was supposed to be their third film, but they ran into intense writer's block while writing it uh, and ended up uh, choosing to do Barton Fink before it, uh, mm-hmm. before they ended up resuming uh, work on the screenplay. That's uh, crazy. And I know. It sounds Let's interesting. See. I'd love to watch it um, if I can find it. I'm sure I could find it somewhere. Not a <laughs> It was on Netflix m- for... 
<laughs> it was on Netflix for the longest time. It's off now, so it, uh, it's gone into it'll come you know, back. This, it'll it's gone into the streaming rabbit hole. So if you can find it, watch it. Um, I have no, I've never seen it, so I have no nothing on this. <laughs> it's it's I, I have it's I love it. It's a great movie. It's yeah. it's fun. I love the Coen Brothers, so it's funny. I've never yeah. never seen this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was unaware that they made. It. I also haven't seen it. Uh, I, I love I love I love Hawk's suggestions. They're often they're they're. Ones that often I've missed for some reason, and they're always amazing. So I'm gonna have to yeah. check that out. I'm uh, what was I gonna say? I'm a person. I'm a big mark for John Polito. Mm. I love that guy. Um, he's very oh, underrated actor. He's for, so for, good. He's been in so much. He was on uh, Homicide: Life in the Streets for most of that series run. Uh, most people would probably know him as Gideon from The Crow. Mm. Oh, uh, the pawn shop owner. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he was also in The Rocketeer. For those that have seen that movie, and if you Who's haven't in the watched Rocketeer? that, uh, he was the bad guy. Oh yeah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> he, the same role he plays in everything. The sleazy mob bad guy. That's fair. That's fair. My bad. He's My very bad. good at what he does. But that's like I'm a huge mark for him. I love watching him on screen because he's just got that great combination of like sleazy power and just like terrified at everything like he's like he's really scary right up until he isn't and it's just like he can go on a dime so well he has that weird kind of turnaround where it's like he can be the most terrifying guy and the way he's framed in the film and that you know mm-hmm. it's like that kind of yeah. big overpowering and uh, you know and yeah. just screaming right in your face and that and then the, like at, at, from another angle in that and from his performance in that he's just a sad puppy yeah, wow. exactly. It's just odd. I love watching him. That's he's like one of my favorites. The way you know, he said he, there's this little uh, scene between him and Gabriel Byrne in it, uh, and mm-hmm. he, you know, after yeah. just a, a, a big explosive, you know, screaming, uh, like bit, he sinks back mm-hmm. into his chair like he's you know having a heart attack, and he's just like, yeah, running things. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, well for for Canadians out there, you can watch Miller's Crossing on Prime Video if you have the Super Channel um, edition. On uh, sure. So there yeah. it is. Um, any final thoughts on uh, Miller's Crossing? Uh, there's a couple little yeah, a couple other things. Uh, Albert Finney plays uh, Leo O'Bannon, who's the Irish uh, political boss and the yeah. you know the rival of. Uh, Johnny Casper. Uh, he was originally, sp- uh, the character was supposed to be played by uh, Trey Wilson. Uh, he's an actor. He appeared in the Coen Brothers previous film, Raising Arizona. He played Nathan Arizona, the, mm-hmm. the, the furniture guy. Nice. Um, he died uh, two days before mm-hmm. the principal filming began. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. So they went and uh, Albert Finney uh, got the role. Yeah. A uh, couple other notable appearances. Uh, Sam Raimi <laughs> appears in in a scene. Yep. Uh, the snickering gunman at the siege of the Sons of Aaron Social Club. Yeah. And uh, one other, I just learned this, and uh, I just had to throw this out, but the the role the role of Eddie Dane in the film. Uh, you remember him, uh, Matt? Yeah. 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 Uh, he was originally written as the Swede, and he was supposed to be played mm-hmm. by Peter Stormar. Ooh, I love him. Oh, he has yeah, a great voice. Right. God. Yeah. Yeah, um, right. Apparently, uh, he, he there was a scheduling conflict. Uh, he was playing Hamlet at the time. Uh, oh, yeah. That happens oh, a lot. Yeah, I would love to right. see him as Hamlet. Oh my God. Could you imagine? And, yeah. After J.E. Yeah. Freeman, after J.E. Freeman was cast in the role, the character's name was changed to the Dane. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we should do a Peter Stormer. 
uh, episode. <laughs> Just oh be like, who's my. our favorite episode or what's our favorite movie of his? <laughs> what's our favorite movie that most people don't realize it's him because they keep forgetting who he is right up until they don't. Oh, man. Uh, or yeah. what video game? He, he was yeah. awesome in yeah. Destiny. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Anywho, uh, shall we move on? Any final thoughts? All good? Yeah, All good? Yeah, go out there and see that, people. Go see yeah, that. Yeah. I'm not going to get that Super Channel thing, but I will find it online. But you know, um, if you're a fan, if you're a fan of the Cohen brothers, it's it's one of the ones that kind of flies under the radar. It's mm-hmm. definitely something you got to see because early Cohens are the best Cohens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Matt Moore. Give us your number one. Okay. Or at least your my first, first one. I mean, and this is kind of cool. We're all keeping this this sort of chronologically all kind of happening at the same time, which I'm really digging. Mine is 1990s Nightbreed, or otherwise titled Clive Barker's Nightbreed. This uh, <laughs> written and directed by Clive Barker based off his 1988 novella Cabal. Um, gosh, I love this movie. I really, really do. And it's it's... <laughs> It's not a movie that was really beloved at the time. It's certainly developed a huge cult following after the fact. Um, so much so that uh, a few years ago, I don't remember how long ago, they were finally released the director's cut of the film because Clive Barker was able to get his hands on the the negatives and recut the movie the way he wanted it to. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, it's uh, it was on it was a Blu-ray release, uh, the director's cut. It's awesome. Uh, and I'll give you, for those that are big horror fans, I'm going to read off some of the names of the cast and you'll understand why I love this movie the way I do. <laughs> uh, it's starring Craig Sheffer uh, as as Aaron Boone, who's the sort of protagonist. Um, most people would know him from the show One Tree Hill, <laughs> uh, which is not intrinsically scary in and of itself. Um, <laughs> But uh, Boone's love interest, Laurie, is played by Ann Bobby, who's best known as the voice of Bridget Tenenbaum in the Bioshock series. Nice. Um, and then we have um, Dr. Decker, who is Boone's psychiatrist, um, with perhaps a more sinister ulterior motive in that, is played by David Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, love I love when he shows up and thinks. Yeah. And yeah. Decker is one of those characters that is is very very frequently shows up on uh, top lists of horror villains, uh, usually in the top twenty. It is one of the most sinister performances I've ever seen on screen, and it's David freaking Cronenberg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, other supporting cast uh, we have Doug Bradley. Uh, who I think everyone knows who he is mm-hmm. uh, you know, from Pinhead fame. Uh, Oliver Parker plays Peliquin. Um, Oliver Parker, for those you who know, is a British director uh, best known for uh, the movie An Ideal Husband and the St. Trinian's series, um, which I didn't know. He did all these, he did after Nightbreed. Uh, he's a great actor, director. Um, who else do we have? Uh, Nicholas Vance also plays Pelican's uh, buddy Kinski. Nicholas Vance was best known as the role of Chatterer from the uh, Hellraiser series as well. So oh. we have two Cenobites in the movie. And just to round out the third, uh, Simon Banford plays Onaka. Simon Banford, of course, was Butterball from the first two oh, wow. Hellraiser mm-hmm. films. Um, and the, the woman that plays the female Cenobite is also has a smaller role in the film as well. He Basically, Barker kind of called in all his friends Mm. And people that had worked with him, worked on his other stuff before and brought them in for this movie to create these iconic, iconic roles. A quick story synopsis. Uh, Aaron Boone, a man that is plagued with nightmares, uh, turns to his psychiatrist and his lover 
uh, for help and is and finds out that he may in fact be responsible for several serial murders around the area of British Columbia where he lives, goes into hiding and seeks out the breed, a group of underground dwellers in uh, a lost city for help. And it becomes a question of who is the monster and who is the man in this mm-hmm. between in the battle between Decker and Boone. That's all I'll give. Um, it's a very, very, very cool movie to watch. The, the novella is phenomenal as well. Barker worked on both, so it wasn't like a weird adaptation. He kind of just streamlined the book for the movie a bit. Yeah. And um, it, it came phenomenal. out only a couple years before, right? It was two Ooh. years before. Yeah. So the, the book came out, and then I think a year after the book came out, he started working on the screenplay for the film. Yeah. Um, uh, and worked very, very closely with... Uh, both Rick Baker and Stan Winston for developing the makeup for the character. Cause it was all practical effects. Yeah. Uh, and the, the makeup for the, for the night breed is terrifyingly phenomenal with what they do with prosthetic work in this movie. Yeah. Uh, but that was the height of prosthetics though, man. I mean, it, it truly was. Yeah. It was, it's a beautiful, beautiful, it's a beautifully horrifying film. I strongly recommend it. This is one of my, I've got the flu in a very high fever films where I put this on. If I'm already feeling really, really low just watching this story and watching these phenomenal performances is like, just warms my dark evil heart. <laughs> this, this movie reminds me of sleepovers. Like this was a movie that we would put on in sleepovers oh, yeah, and it would nice. just be like, yeah, this movie is awesome, but also scary. And Oh man. Yeah. And like you're, you're saying um, when you see David Cronenberg show up in films when he's acting, it reminds me when uh, like Werner Herzog shows up in Yo, movies. You're just yeah. like, yes, yeah. that's amazing. And then they always play like this amazing role. And yeah, yeah Nightbreed is one well, of them. And Cronenberg, like Decker is just such a terrifying villain mm. because there's never a point in time. Like he's always so in control. Even when he loses control, he's so in control. It's just chilling. It makes you wonder <laughs> if he's like that as a director. <laughs> oh, for sure. And there are definitely moments, there are scenes where you can definitely see his influence and homages to him just with, because he, of course, being the, the father of body modern body horror. There are moments in this movie where you can tell there was a little uh, nods to his work. Mm-hmm. The um, The special effects like are just so good in this, like. Oh yeah, you could see the influences that they took, like just building up to this, and it's just like mm-hmm. you can see where they took. I, I don't want to ruin the special effects if you haven't seen this movie because mm-hmm. when you see it for the first time, you're just like, ah, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, it is it is available still on Shutter for those of you that have it. For those of you who don't, uh, get a thirty day subscription for free to try it out. It is a great great uh, curated horror platform. Mm-hmm. Um. um is it only the director's cut that is shown now? Like, is that a thing where that kind yes. of that version kind of replaced the? It, yeah, it, okay. it, it, ever since it was released, the director's cut is really the only version that's available right now. It is honestly, there was never there were no changes. It was he added scenes back in that were cut by the studio for nice. time. Okay, the, the director's cut. The original, yeah. yeah, the original run was I think uh, a little over an hour and a half. The director's cuts over two. The the director's cut came out in twenty fourteen. For those twenty fourteen, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it is honestly yeah. the director's cut. Is, it's a superior version to watch. All right, because it was you know Clive Barker being able like, no, this is the story I wanted to tell. It's worth it. It's I mostly yeah. most of the stuff they cut was character stuff, like just conversations. I yeah, I haven't seen it since like what the early '90s. So I wonder, I wonder <laughs> how how it plays now for me mm-hmm. as my as an older watcher. Um, Especially, I've well, not me, seen the director's yeah. cut either. So, well, for me also, I kind of love it because it, it's it takes place in Canada. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> like very much so. Like it's in it's in BC. It was shot in BC. 
like there's a lot of it's just i love that i love horror happening in canada it makes me happy yeah any final thoughts from the, the peanut gallery this is unfortunately <laughs> one of those films i haven't seen yet i'm surprised yeah, Hawk. actually you just as surprising i actually haven't seen it either oh wow. i'm more surprised that i've seen it than you guys haven't although yeah. i do watch a lot of it's, horror movies for some reason it's it's very easy to find like i said if you if you have access to shutter or even if you don't, I'd recommend getting getting the, the free 30-day and trying it out. It's it's worth it to watch some of the stuff they have on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie especially is phenomenal. I love it. Yeah. For sure. For sure. I do I do know. I've, I have heard quite a bit about it as a, as a Clive Barker project in that because I know he's famously an author that um, has, had, has had major revisions done to his kind of themes and works. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because I don't, I, you know, usually producers try to stay away from a lot of the sexual elements that he included yeah. in his horror. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and this was this, you know, this uh, well, this movie especially has been actually been been analyzed a lot late, uh, especially in recent years, uh, as to whether or not it was actually a, a gay themed horror film. Mm. Mm. I just just because of some of the theme, like if you look at the themes of the movie as metaphors, right. It's yeah. and and Barker has said uh, it was not my intention for that to be what it is, but if that's what you're getting from it, I don't, I have no problem with that at all. Yeah, yeah. Knowing his history, it makes sense. I mean, speaking from you know a place of, you know, ostracization and judgment and all those sorts of yeah. things. So those mm-hmm. themes come out come across in some of his writing. So yeah, yeah. very much it's so. possible. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For for fans of the this podcast, you you know how I feel about Danny Elfman's music i feel like it's very bum 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 this is mm-hmm. this score for nightbreed is not one of those films so no so this is the exception this is an exception to his bum 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 there are moments there are moments yeah, in this yeah. where it's very uh, it's very elfman but then there are moments where it is very not yeah, yeah so <laughs> so yeah definitely like check he, it has, out. he has moments where he yeah, elfman has moments where he creates the kind of tension that you that hasn't been seen from since that movie you haven't seen until we get to like the insidious movies where he has a lot of like tension building string string yeah, bits. Yeah. it's very cool yeah well cool let's move on to our yeah. number four steve oh guys guys man this I, i've been <laughs> struggling with this i know it's so easy right i mean just movies that you enjoy or bring you joy but i'm just fixated on this i i think about movies non-stop and i make lists non-stop and i've never made a list for movies that make me happy and i think that i think that says a lot about me so so even right now while we're talking i've had six movies on my screen and i keep changing the order of them because i have no idea right yeah, yeah. um yeah. And actually, well, I, after I knew Matt had picked Nightbreed, I was thinking about it and I was like, yeah, you know what? Hellraiser actually probably would fall under this category for me because I could yeah. just let it run. But, but because uh, Nightbreed actually sounds really interesting and, and Matt chose Nightbreed, uh, I'm just going to go with an old favorite. I guess my issue is I don't put on movies to cheer myself up, but there are definitely movies that I enjoy just kind of running through the, you know, the scenes, you know, and just have them play. So I guess that's as close as I can get to what we're trying to talk about. So I'm just going to go, man, all six of these men. Um, (laughs) I'm going to go with Total Recall from 1990, uh, which is by Paul Verhoeven. I have this list of movies that I can watch over and over again, and I always have one slot for Paul Verhoeven movies, which is interchangeable depending on my mood. So it can be Starship Troopers (gasps) or it can be Robocop. But I, I... Otherwise, I would almost the whole list would be his movie. So I just make it the Paul Verhoeven section. But I think Total Recall is just one of those movies that is it's so quotable because of Arnold. 
And uh, and the thing with his with Verhoeven's movies is his like scripting of the swear words and the violence is still effective now. Like he doesn't he doesn't write like the the, the scripts are not in a way that it's just crass. Like there's something really palpable about everything from the shots to the violence mm-hmm. to the dialogue delivery. Anyway, if you don't know what Total Recall is, uh, it's a science fiction uh, story. Uh, based on a Philip K. Dick short story called We Can Remember It uh, For You Wholesale. Um, and uh, it stars uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Rachel, uh, sorry, is it Tocotten? Tocotten? I, can, I can't pronounce her name, sorry. Uh, Sharon Stone, Ronnie Cox, and uh, Michael Ironside yeah. for that community content. Uh, oh, and he's so good. Um, yeah. But um, I don't even know how to explain this movie. Um Schwarzenegger, you know, without giving anything away as well, um, in the year uh, 2084, uh, Douglas Quaid, who is a construction worker, um, keeps dreaming about um, trips to Mars. Um, and his wife, uh, Lori, uh, is sort of like, oh, you know, you know, you're always talking about Mars, you know, but, you know, we got all these like, you know, there's all these political problems going on, you know, and, and uh, you know, it's too crazy. And uh, basically uh, dismisses, you know, his, his dreams. Um, and, uh, in fact, in the dreams, he's dreaming of somebody else other than his wife too, which is a Mm -hmm. little bit, uh, a little bit mysterious. Anyway, um, at this, uh, juncture in the future, there's a technology where you can actually purchase, uh, memories. So instead of like trying to figure out how to get to Mars, um, Quaid decides to go uh, to one of these, uh, memory places called, uh, recall and buys a virtual, uh, vacation uh, where he goes to Mars and then um, everything kind of goes to hell. Like he makes, basically yeah. buys a package and then it's up to you to decide uh, whether or not um, the rest of the film is actually the package or if uh, he's actually gotten himself involved with something uh, quite serious. Nah, uh, what are you doing? Yeah. So much good quotes. Oh, I yeah. mean, um, Okay, what am I supposed to be talking about here? Uh, yeah, so I I don't remember the first time I saw this movie. Um, I think, um, you know, just there were a lot of movies when I was growing up, all these R-rated, I don't know if this one was R-rated, it should have been. Uh, um, it was. Sure it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, like RoboCop and Total Recall, I watched at other people's houses. Like there'd be like dinner parties so that people would just throw these things on and they didn't care, right? So I saw all this stuff way too young, but it was awesome. <laughs> Yes. And they're never going to be able to make movies like this again. In fact, they tried. And the new Total Recall, which I will still oh. applaud for its efforts. Oh, um, that was my that was my second choice. Oh, <laughs> it just, it's just not as impactful. You know, I mean, at least they tried to do something different with it. So I'm not going to. Plus, not they filmed it around it here. Yes, yeah. yes, that's true. I, that's I, true. The remake of Total Recall. I remember they were they wanted to stick closer to the original source material with it, which right. I respect. But also, but they sort of didn't. They didn't, yeah. and then it's like if you're going to remake a movie, just remake the movie. Don't yeah. try to reinvent the wheel. It was well, they, they tried to imitate shots from the '90 film, which and yeah. it just didn't work, didn't work out. Like, just, no. Yeah, and then that's the thing. I and mean, when you replace like a lot of these soldiers with like robots, I mean, like there's just a lot of things that are a little bit questionable in the remake, and it's one of those things. that's like, why would you remake a movie that is? well, in my opinion, perfect, right? It's the same yeah. with RoboCop, right? These are movies where you just kind of go like, why are they remaking this, right? But whatever, yeah. that's that's a discussion yeah. for another day. You can't remake Paul Verhoeven movies. No. It's just not, yeah. no. Not without Paul Verhoeven. That's just yeah. it. You yeah. need to get <laughs> him involved to help you do it or don't bother doing it. Yeah. He, no, he, 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 he had a, such a... 
he had such a unique kind of perspective. It was, you know, with his films and that, it was all this kind of refracted mm-hmm. view of America. I think maybe yeah. from an mm-hmm. outsider coming into America, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just focusing on, you know, the, fo- the aspects. We should of do like a Verhoeven that. episode. I, we well, should, because, you know? like, the way I've always described Paul Verhoeven is Paul Verhoeven's movies are excruciatingly well thought out and beautifully thought, beautifully shot pulp films. Mm, that's a yeah. good way of putting but, it but it's like the amount of you can see the amount of time and effort and thought went into making these look and i don't want to say cheap because they really aren't but they look they almost campy but so campy that it's not anymore if you yeah. know I mean? like it goes so far into camp that it comes around full circle yeah yeah they have um, a certain and, surreality and I, to them and I yeah. even include stuff like Showgirls in with that, where it's like it's such they're so extreme pulp films that they yeah. become enjoyable to watch because they're not meant to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this one was not cheap, you know. When you look not at it, at all, uh, because this was like this was the height of Schwarzenegger. You know, it's like it didn't oh, matter yeah. if it had an R rating, and that people were gonna you know be there in the theater to watch it, and that and yeah. the and I think there were some moments in the film that you know were probably like the height of technology in film that for that particular year um, yeah practical effects again yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the it's yeah the trailer bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, that yeah. bit's in trailers so like people will know will know yeah that yeah uh, yeah, so uh, yeah i don't know what else to say about it i mean it's just an action-packed like ridiculously quotable um and interesting to watch because like yeah what you said matt it's true it, there's a certain surrealism to it that mm-hmm. um makes it work even better for the premise, you know, as Mm -hmm. to whether everything is real or not. Mm -hmm. And, um, um, yeah, everything is so intentionally gritty and brutal and and silly, um, Mm -hmm. that it's, yeah, it's just, it's just a wild ride, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When they start playing with the audience, when they're like, is this a dream or is it not? Um, the way they do it in this film is so well done. And then you watch the 2012 version and you're like, no, no, mm. you, you, yeah. you approach this wrong and it's not, it doesn't well, feel and that's, as, that's the, as, I mean, that's the problem, especially a movie like this, where like the whole, one of the whole conceits of the movie is to make, is to play with your perception on whether this is real or not. Once you've seen the movie, know the story, you can't, you don't get that surprise again. Yeah. Even at yeah, the end, you don't really know, right? No. That's the great no, exactly. about this No, you don't really. Yeah. It's very it's, kind of almost Blade Runner-esque that way, where you don't really know exactly how it ends. Like, you know what the ending is, but you don't know what that means. That yeah. was a, such a huge like theme for Philip K. Dick through, uh, mm-hmm. running through like a lot of his work in that, especially yeah. like in the way technology intermingled with humanity. And that um, mm-hmm. there's one story in particular is called the Electric Ant, where a guy yeah. who suffers an accident he wakes up in a hospital uh, mm-hmm. and then is told by the doctor that you know he, he something he doesn't know at the time, but he doesn't realize that he is a synthetic person. <laughs> Yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> it, it just it just it just occurred to me, especially when I was making reference to Blade Runner. I'm like, yes, because they're both Philip, Philip yep. K. Dick stories. Yep. So of course the endings would be kind of vague and confusing because that's what yeah. Dick did. Yeah, yeah that's that's sure. his style of science fiction. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's it's to ponder things, but not to give concrete, yeah. you know, answers. You know, so yeah. Well, I was gonna say like it's it's a great way to do, it's a great testament to Philip K. Dick as a as a writer for source material where you such have such a phenomenal one two drastically different directors in you know Ridley Scott and Paul Verhoeven mm-hmm. that are able to take material from the same author and create products that they're not they're not comparable they are two different things but there are thematic elements where you see the comparison you can see you know there's bits that you kind of ping true in both of them that's that's all i was going to say just 
I had a weird revelation when I started talking. I'm like, my God, I think I've stumbled <laughs> on something sure no one has ever written about before. Like, there's so many great Philip K. Dick movies, like Blade Runner, Total Recall, Minority Report, The Adjustment mm-hmm. Bureau. Like, like, you just keep on going. It's just like all of these mm-hmm. different themes, just from like this one author. Um, I'm going to take this back, uh, give a tidbit. Uh, back from an earlier episode, but Rachel Tocotin, who plays the heroine, I'm going to say heroine in this film. Yes. Um, yes. She also voiced the, um, she played uh, Captain Maria Chavez, who is the female detective in Gargoyles. So, oh, so, that's, yeah. yeah. Nice. So I'm nice. tying that back to, you know, the cartoons back from a couple episodes ago. Yeah. It's a good carryover. Yeah. Any Very other good. final thoughts on this amazing film? I love this film. I remember seeing it on TMN. That's how I caught this film because it was on TMN all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely was too young to watch this movie. <laughs> I can't think of a good quote right now, but yeah, it's just, yeah. I, yeah. It's I need to, I definitely need to watch. This is a movie that I love. I've never actually sat down and watched it start to finish. Really? Oh, oh really? I've, I've watched the entire movie. Just never in one sitting. For so it's on, it's on in my collection because as well as it would always whenever it was on TV I'd start watching it, but it would always be like I'd catch the beginning and then be like okay I have to go to dinner I have to have dinner or something and then I would like I watch the end late at night so I know everything that happens in the movie I've just never and it's very hard to find streaming wise too like the new one is easy to find the old one is not as as easy I don't think I've never also I've never really sought it out which I should it's irresponsible yeah. to talk about it not I've watched the whole it- thing. Isn't it on Prime Video? I think I saw it up there. I don't know. I, I, again, it's, I, I we'll find actively it. seek it out. I will. I'm going to make a goal and a promise to our viewers. I will seek this movie out and watch it start to finish. All right, I did find a quote yeah. uh, appropriate enough. Uh, it's, uh, get your ass to Mars. Just <laughs> 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 actually not by Schwarzenegger in it, but I just thought I'd throw that on there. You didn't want to say, consider that a divorce. Oh, I did uh, that bad yeah. accent there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what yeah. it's all about, man. See My favorite divorce. My favorite quote from this movie. Damn it, Kuhigan, give them the air. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't go with, baby, you make me wish I had three wish I hands. I had three hands. Uh, <laughs> screw you. Uh, <laughs> oh, this movie's so good. Oh, so quotable. It's so, it's so ridiculously glorious. Great choice. Any final thoughts before we move on to my number two? No, I think that's good. I'm good. I my number it. two, yeah. I'm just going to say another one of my lists. It's not really a number two because these are all interchangeables. I've, I yeah. feel like all of us can be like, yeah, yeah I'll watch this movie or this movie. Mm-hmm. Just whatever feels good. I'm yeah. going to bring us out of the early 90s slash late 80s to the early 2000s with Almost Famous. The one I'm actually going to talk <laughs> about is the director's cut, which was called Untitled, and it was released a couple years later. Mm. Anyway. Mm. Almost Famous was released in 2000 and it was written and directed by Cameron Crowe. The film stars Billy Crudup as Russell Hammond, Patrick Fugit as William, William Miller, Kate Hudson as Penny Lane, Francis McDormand as Elaine Miller, Jason Lee as Jeff Bebe, and of course Philip Seymour Hoffman as Lester Banks. There's also this amazing secondary cast that includes like Anna mm-hmm. Paquin and Feruza Balk and all these mm-hmm. other amazing um like secondary actors, I guess. Secondary, it feels wrong to say that because they were so supporting, so good, supporting yeah. Bijou Phillips, Jimmy Fallon. Uh, yeah. Like it just the list keeps going on and on and on because mm-hmm. it's a Cameron Crowe film. 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> this uh, film won the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay in that year. Mm-hmm. So the story is inspired by Cameron Crowe's real life as a young writer for Rolling Stone. It follows a high school boy given the chance to write a story for Rolling Stone magazine about an up and coming rock band, Stillwater, as he accompanies them on their concert tour, the almost famous tour across um, North America. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw this movie by myself in 2000. In St. Catharines, by myself. Uh, I guess no one wanted to see it with me, which is strange because I love music. And this music, this movie definitely is a film about the love of music and the love of the people that make music. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's why I love it. I love it. The passion for music, um, the performances in this film. um, It's the first film I really remember Billy Crudup in, and he was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. This is Patrick Fugit's uh, first uh, film role. Kate Mm -hmm. Hudson, this is where... You know, most people have developed their first crush on her was this yep. film. Mm-hmm. This one was really considered her breakout performance. Exactly. Yeah. Frances McDormand as a William's mother was mm-hmm. so well done that um, apparently Cameron, it's based on Cameron Crowe's mother. And when mm-hmm. Frances McDormand met Cameron Crowe's mom, mm-hmm. it actually freaked her out. <laughs> Cause, yeah. Because she's like, oh, okay, so I know where this is coming from. And mm-hmm. this is really another breakout role for Jason Lee as well, who is mostly known yeah. for his uh, Kevin Smith roles. Yeah, this and, is what brought him into the mainstream and then exactly. got him uh, what was that show that he had forever. Yeah, My name is Earl. Earl. Uh, <laughs> my yeah. name is Earl. Thank you. I, put the house I, I, think, I think this more led him towards Alvin and Chipmunks, which led him to My Name is Earl. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman as Lester Banks was just brilliant. He was apparently spot on and he really embodied the spirit of this actual um, DJ uh, from mm-hmm. the States. Yeah. Because Cameron Crowe was a writer for Rolling Stone, he knew a lot about uh, the bands back in the day, like Peter Frampton. He knew all of them. Being such a young person and experiencing all mm-hmm. of these things, he got to put in, in film and he got to bring these people as consultants on the film. So uh, Peter mm-hmm. Frampton was actually the technical consultant on the film. His Cameron Crowe's then wife, musician Nancy Wilson of Heart, wrote a lot of the music that is mm-hmm. for Stillwater, who is a fiction, yeah. uh, fictional band. Um, mm-hmm. But they, because he was also uh, like tied to all of these people, he got like the rights to play all of these amazing 70s songs in the film. Mm-hmm. So the soundtrack mm-hmm. is just spot on. Uh, the, Nancy- the one thing I remember from this movie is it brought everyone's attention back to Elton John's Tiny Dancer. Yeah, that's actually one yeah. of my scenes I'm going to talk about. Yep. Um, the uh, Nancy Wilson wrote the score, so the incidental music in it. But uh, she also uh, wrote with Peter Frampton and Mike McCready of Pearl Jam for the Stillwater songs. So everything was just like all encompassing and it was just so good. Um, Some scenes that stand out for me, uh, the first concert um, that we see William go to the one with uh, Stillwater and him behind stage and people going up to the mic and just seeing the people react to the band and all the people that are fans, just it, it it felt so real. And I don't Mm -hmm. think I'd ever seen a, a, a music film about that, like about popular music. And then, um, showing how fans actually felt with the music. Um, mm-hmm. There's also a scene right afterwards where Penny Lane is asking William to go to um, go away with him on vacation, and mm-hmm. he, he goes, um, "Ask me again." And she's like, "Okay," but apparently that was um, that wasn't in the script. That was actually mm-hmm. the yeah. actor saying, "Oh, can you say it again?" But uh, yeah. it was so cute because he had a little crush on Kate Hudson at the time. So you could totally see yeah. it. So everything felt so real. 
Um, yeah. Um, I I also give major props to Nancy Wilson's incidental score. Like it's his mm-hmm. her original score. She would tie in musical themes throughout. There's a whistle that um, Francis McDormand does for William mm-hmm. to you know to mm-hmm. find him, and it's tied into the music, and you can hear it throughout this the whole score. It's so well yeah. done. Um, other famous er, f- scenes that make me happy: the air the airplane crashing sequence. <laughs> the one where they're all freaking yeah. out at each other yeah uh, it makes me smile and laugh anytime the tiny dancer sequence on the bus after yeah. after russell um goes on e and is at a party and yells out he's a golden god and jumps off the roof yeah. into a pool what's like, your last words i'm on drugs yeah <laughs> oh and i and i dig music uh but I'm on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this this music this movie just makes me smile. It it's so earnest mm-hmm. and it, it it just it's so well done. Yeah. So I throw it to you guys. Uh, so 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 for it, it raises so many things in this movie. Um, Patrick Fugit, you know, obviously based on you know his role based on Cameron Crowe and that. Uh, mm-hmm. it, that dynamic between him and the mother is fantastic in that because he's this young man and that he's very intelligent in that, but also he has this mother who's she's a university professor, classics in there. Uh, yeah. I still remember. Yeah. I still remember her line as Kierkegaard said, "Go forth in valor." Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and it's this young man he's trying to make you know trying to i think he's trying to echo out like his his own little path in life and that yeah um mm-hmm. and the fact that you know and the also yeah i'm sorry i'm stumbling on my words here but that's uh, okay uh, i understand I this love, movie's really good i know <laughs> the th- the theme of of uh, rock music in relation to the media, especially back in the seventies and that is is pretty fantastic in that because they're so mistrustful of them in that you know you know they're excited about the Rolling Stone cover in the cover story, uh, but at the same time they're very skeptical of it. And uh, Rolling Stone had a habit of like you know uh, sometimes being on the wrong side of history, and as far as bands went, yeah. They well, they they, they try Zeppelin Four, man. Yeah, and they broke up Cream, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> like that's amazing. Oh, yeah. This, this well, and I also remember, I remember from the film the one thing I love is that uh, when they're kind of chastising. Uh, William a bit for his writing. He said, we already have one Hunter Thompson. We don't need another one. (laughs) (laughs) Which I mean, especially given the time that this was happening, I'm like that for me, because I'm a, again, I'm a huge Hunter Thompson fan. So I love that little, that little shout out reference in there where I'm like, yep, that, that tracks. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Apparently William Fong, the guy who um, was the head of Rolling Stone, then he, he said that the, the portrayal of him was, was pretty spot on. Oh <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's great that all these people signed off or not signed off, but at least they were like, "This is this is really earnest. This is this is exactly how it was." Yeah, oh, man, I love this film so much. Steve, have you seen this film? Actually, I haven't. I, uh, yeah, I for whatever reason I I missed it, and then I uh, it just never came back to it. So I mean, you're doing a really good uh, really good pitch. I, I definitely <laughs> want to check it out because uh, uh, yeah, I, I had the I had the rough idea of what it was about. I picked that up from the trailers, you know. But what I'm getting from you uh, and what you guys are saying is like that it's such a it, it captures like a certain moment in time, you know, yep, like so sure. exceptionally well. And like you said, because of the connections, he was able to get all that music, you know, to mm-hmm. uh, to further enhance you know, like that period that, uh, yeah, I'm really intrigued. So I definitely need to check this one out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're all like based on real people like Penny Lane, 
the 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 character in the film is actually based on an actual um penny lane in in, in real life mm-hmm. and she actually mm-hmm. saw it and was like yeah you know it, it's not the same person but it felt the same right it had the yeah. same feelings wow. and stuff it's mm-hmm. it's yeah, that authenticity sounds like yeah, that sounds really amazing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's and Cameron Crowe actually got to sort of do a spiritual sequel, I guess, to this. Um, he had a TV series, uh, I guess, eight or eight or nine years ago. Oh wait, no, four years ago called Roadies. Um, okay, it was based okay. on you know the the crew of of bands, and you right. get to see a little bit of it in in Almost Famous. But to take their perspective on the TV show is actually quite good. So, Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. And uh, uh, Lester, yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman's portrayal of Lester Banks uh, is spot on. Lester Banks, you, you know, for those who don't know, he's a very important figure in music writing, and that he was got mm. he was the rock and roll of music writing. Uh, he he mm. was this guy who was always kind of on the front line, like he was there, like you know, when nobody else was, and that for for bands rising, you know, he was mm-hmm. one of the first ones who you know wrote about wrote extensively about craftwork before like America you mm. know, mm. uh, even heard of them, uh, and you know it's so ironic with uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman playing on them. Both men actually died of the same cause, yeah, accidental oh, wow. overdose. Um, yeah. He uh, he was. Fired from Rolling Stone as well, and then that's mm-hmm. when he went moved over to Cream, um, which yeah. is amazing. Uh, anyway, let's let's move on. Check it out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's on any streaming services. I should have looked that up, but it's widely available. I just I bought it again on mm-hmm. Blu-ray not too long ago, <laughs> um, uh, just because I saw it at Walmart. Anyway, mm-hmm. Hawk, what's your next so, one? My second choice. 2005 Serenity, uh, from written and directed by Josh Whedon. It was the capper to his uh, short-lived Fox Television series Firefly, and it's it is still one of the. It's a perfect movie, a perfect end to a great series, uh, and (sighs) you know, one of those films I can just watch endlessly. That movie was supposed to spin off into another movie. It's so sad that that didn't happen. Well, timing, yeah. Timing, box office, you know, didn't matter, you know. Well, yeah, I, I, mean, I don't know the whole story, but it seems like Fox hated the, that show. I mean, <laughs> just, yeah. Sorry, go on, go on. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Erica, you, you, you know, you and I probably both watched Firefly about the same time because uh, we were both in university when it, uh, when it debuted. Yeah. So um, I used to have like a Buffy crew and we used to have Buffy nights and then we started adding Firefly into it, but it was sure. so erratic the release yeah. schedule that we'd yeah, be there and be like, it's not on. I guess it's not on today. Sure. I guess. Well, well yeah. Firefly so suffered the same fate as family guys. First two seasons where they kept shifting it around. Cause Fox would just shift it around and shift it around and, and, and bump it and shift the time because, you know, sports were on or whatever that people couldn't, couldn't watch it. And they're like, well, the ratings are down. No one's watching this. And everyone's like, cause we don't know when you're playing it. They yeah. premiered it during the world series. Why? Why? <laughs> And then oh got God. this bump to Fridays at eight. Yeah. You know, when nobody was nobody was home. No, nope. or if they were, they were watching shows that had been around for like five, six years. X Files had moved to Friday at that point, so yeah. we were like, "Yeah, that's my X Files night." It's not like we could yeah. easily uh, DVR things back then, right? You couldn't. No, they didn't really exist. Oh God. 
even still like it caught on it, this this cult following built around the, the series uh and i guess you know fox said well you know maybe we'll yeah. just give it the you know give the film a go yeah. uh, go ahead yeah uh, the, the dvd release i remember really got like the people were like ravenously trying to consume those dvds and, and watch it to get enough traction behind and the, it the, this was like around the time when sdcc started getting bigger right and all these mm-hmm. conventions started getting bigger yeah sure. then the sure. brown coat conventions started right and yes. there's so, so much it just, pull it just missed it i mean if, if this yeah. whole thing happened a few years later and the internet was a little bit more cohesive and you know movements could be i think it would have survived but yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just the wrong time and yeah. i don't know who hated the show but they hated the show honestly yeah. I mean, there's it, no way yeah. If they started this around the time that Battlestar started, it would have been it would have been a, like a blast. Sure. Like it would have been a hit. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Even we keep still. on interrupting you on this. That's okay. uh, <laughs> uh, should I go into synopsis? Uh, yeah, man. Of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. All right so a ragtag a ragtag group of uh, smugglers and robbers led by uh, uh, Captain Mal, uh, played beautifully by Nathan Fillion. Uh, Runs afoul of of the dominant of the dominant uh, force in the in the quadrant, the Alliance. Uh, they hold a dark secret. Uh, one of his passengers, uh, a River Tam. Uh, I love that they explore her character a lot more in this film. She's pretty, mm-hmm. yeah, she tends to be the centerpiece of it. In that, well, it was supposed um, to be the second season of the of the TV show. Yeah. Unfortunately, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, so this is a sequel secret, to Firefly. Just, um, yeah. It's, yeah. It, this is basically a, a sequel to this series because um, at the end of the, the first season, the Alliance had sent people out to find uh, Mal and his crew because of River Tam, and this is sort yeah. of the what happens when they send an assassin out to find her, right? And so she unlocks favorite, some things. You see it at the yeah. end of the first season, too, her starting to unlock her mind uh, because she had been... She had been brainwashed and uh, experimented on so much that she was, um, what did they say? Fragmented. Her brain was fragmented. Like a hard drive. Yeah. Uh, I also love that they do a deep dive into the mythology of the series. I'm sure they were going to explore because uh, they introduced one of the mo- one of the scariest aspects of uh, sci-fi you know, villains like in the first season and that with the Reavers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the greatest descriptor quote for a, a side villain ever. I know. Uh, for, why are they, why are we scared of them? Because they will rape us to death, skin us, and use our corpses to decorate their ships. And if we're very lucky, order. they'll do it in that order. Yeah. Oh god, this cast like, like oh, yeah. <laughs> like this this cast really was so they felt so right with each other, especially yeah. after mm-hmm. you see them get getting put together in the first season. Um, and like it had been about five years since the show had aired and nothing felt different, right? They felt like they were still in the right spots. Oh, it's such a good progression of the show. And also Ron Glass. God bless Ron Glass. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're never... uh, They were one of those perfectly cast and written characters in that that none of them felt interchangeable. They all felt like just necessary components uh, for for this crew to exist, for this... Mm show and movie to even exist yeah um their dial the dialogue was always great um you know and it's great i mean like this the sci-fi movie you know it had less to do with with special effects than it had to do with interactions between the characters and that, yeah. that's what you came yeah. back for it wasn't the special Very effects so. it, it was it was always the way this crew interacted with each other and the yeah. outside yeah. world and it introduced a great new villain in that with uh, uh 
I'm gonna the probably I'm, I'm gonna butcher his name when I say it, but Chaitawala Ajiafor. Yeah, you're nice. Right. Um, and you're right. Like, um, like Joss Whedon has such a knack at uh, creating like like casts and scripts where it's not just one person leading everyone. It actually mm-hmm. is an ensemble. It doesn't feel yeah. like one of their stories has just been left off to the side. Um, the Avengers um, benefited of that and, you know, Serenity yeah. benefited from it. Mm-hmm. Now, but that being said, Joss Whedon also does the one thing that Joss Whedon had become very famous for in this movie, which is uh, a thing that was then taken up with Game of Thrones, which is don't get too attached to any characters because Joss doesn't like to keep his characters alive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, yeah. And, and we lose two in this movie and I won't ruin it, but there are, you would not have a full crew when the movie ends that you did when it begins. And it's funny because only one of those deaths was originally planned the second one they just they edit they added it into production like they had started filming and they're like and he's like you know what i think i think we're gonna have to add a, this the second one because it'll mm-hmm. show that this crew isn't safe and they're like we already know they're not safe you killed <laughs> someone earlier <laughs> yeah we know who you are joss whedon we know nobody is safe well not at that point yeah. Now, no, now no, no, at that point. Because we, oh, we, we had at that point. We had Buffy sure. and we had uh, sure, Angel already fair. done. We had Buffy and Angel. We'd seen what he'd done to characters by then. Fair oh. enough, fair enough. But I mean to have it happen like, you know, two in a movie, I guess that was that was the new threshold. Yeah, yeah that was that was a big kick in the nads. It was. <laughs> I mean, in the emotional the, the, nads. The, the first one was sad, but you like you saw it coming. The yeah, second right. one comes out of nowhere. Just literally. It's, it's a literal and proverbial punch in the stomach. Oh, it still hurts. It's been 15 years. <laughs> and I know it still hurts. I am a I leaf. Know, it's weird. I'm looking at, I'm looking at my soar. window and I'm watching a leaf on the wind when I'm going to watch it so. Uh, uh, you guys. I'm a leaf on the wind. I don't know, but this affects my, my next joy selection. Oh, wow. Brutal. Yeah. This is your like, sudden but inevitable betrayal. It, like, it, it's great because I remember I, I worked at Fan Expo for such a long time. And I got to go behind the scenes, obviously, because I worked there. And I remember seeing Summer Glau there and being like, oh, that's cool. Um, you know, River, River Song's here. And she always seemed like River this Tam. little Tam. ethereal-minded person. Oh, River Tam. What River Song? Where's that from? Oh, that's Dr. Who. Dr. Who. River Tam. Um, so uh, I always thought of her on the show. She's like, oh, she's always so like, she's thinking about other things so ethereal mm-hmm. but on the sarah connor chronicles she was sort of like that but not really yeah and then you see her in real life and you're like oh that's who she is in real life you're not wearing <laughs> shoes and walking around this is you in real life <laughs> they just yeah. filmed you <laughs> doing yeah. your regular thing nice mm-hmm. she was nice though but anyway. she's very cool yeah uh any final thoughts on serenity uh it's a it's a great movie it'll it, it'll play with your heartstrings, but it's ultimately, it's a great conclusion to a great series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's great that they were able to, to do it and to get all the people. And like, like Eric said, I mean, you know, it felt like no time had passed really. Like it all kind of, it, it, it fit, you know, and it felt good. So. Yeah. Yeah. And the they, fact um, that he, he wrote it for his, he wrote it for the fans of the series and that he didn't try to, with the move to the film, he didn't try to go broad, you know, get more people in the theater and that he knew he, who he was writing this film for and yeah. he, de- he really delivers. What a strange concept. I know. Yeah. Right. I know. right. Who knew <laughs> like the, the fans that made this movie get made because Fox couldn't shut them up. 
you then gave them what they you gave them yeah. a film for them. I say you didn't give them what they wanted, but you gave them a film for them. Yeah, expanding on an existing series, Floor Masters. <sighs> yeah. I wish they and thought then, of this stuff like. And then Recently. closing out, and then closing out that series, so it has a definitive ending. And if you choose to continue it, you can, but you don't have to, and it's still a happy ending, like a yeah. wrapped up story. It's how yeah. bizarre! How some, bizarre! Some would say it's impossible. <laughs> in fact, <laughs> uh, I am going to give uh, props to David Newman, who was the composer on this film. Mm-hmm. He didn't do the music for the TV show, but he really captured that western feel, Western sci-fi feel that Greg Edmondson did for the TV show. Mm -hmm. Um, For those that don't know uh, David Newman, he's done a lot of films, like like mostly like kiddie films like Scooby-Doo and Mm -hmm. um, uh, Nutty Professor and things like that. Um, But he was really able to capture Greg Edmondson's feel. Uh, Greg Edmondson, if you don't know his name, he's done a lot of a lot of scoring, but I think for me personally, the thing I remember his music for is the Uncharted series. So he did mm-hmm. the themes for Uncharted 1, 2, and 3. Yeah. yeah. Trivia. <laughs> so for anyone who's interested in the film, I'm not sure what the status of the original series Firefly is as far as streaming services go and that, but it's a it's a it's a necessary, you know, to yeah. for to watch it, the series first before you yeah. get into this film. Uh, but the film yes. itself is currently available on Prime Video. Yeah, it is. I've would the one Disney thing that you, it up as well. Well, yeah, what? Fox owns it, so I, I yeah. know that Disney would have proprietary right to it, but eventually, who knows? Yeah. Um, the other thing I would say is that you don't need to have seen the series to get the movie because they do a very good job of kind of giving you everything you need to know in the beginning. Granted, in the series, you appreciate things that happen far more, but yeah. you don't. You don't. It's not necessary. It's not required viewing. If you haven't yeah. seen it, you're not going to miss references or jokes. Yeah. When I when I saw this in 2005, I took one of my buddies who had never seen the TV show, and he loved the movie so much that he ended up watching the TV show. This is Dave Sazant. Uh, if you're wondering. Yes. More. No. I remember uh, he. I remember you dragging that. He's like, it was good. I was like, have you seen the series? No. I'm like, watch the series. And he, I, I gave him the series. <laughs> I gave him the. Blu-ray I remember you watching. Okay. He was like. Oh my god, he was like more upset after he watched the series yeah. and know how that ended. Yeah. Because he's like, you get so invested with who these characters are, and then it's so much more Yeah. I'd never seen someone so excited about the movie and then be excited um that it was based on a TV show that he had never heard of. It was so it was so funny. Uh, yeah. It's brilliant. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um all right. So if we're done with Serenity, we move up to Matt Moore. Okay, uh, my second choice. We're going to the year two thousand and one, and it is Robert Altman's film Gosford Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's directed by Robert Altman, written by Julian Fellows, uh, who many know as the creator, showrunner, all-around guru of um, Downton Abbey. I almost forgot the name of the damn show, <laughs> uh, which was sort of the spiritual successor of Gosford Park although with 100% less murder. Uh, it is a, uh, a period piece just after the war. Uh, it takes place at a British country estate uh, where a bunch of nobility and all their servants are there for a shooting party at the weekend, in which case a murder happens, and then it becomes kind of a whodunit. But there's two different stories. There's the story of those that live above stairs and the story of those that live below stairs, or the mm. servants, which trans- then was carried over into Downton Abbey. Of course, um, yes. I'm just going to read the cast really fast because there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> take this your time. Movie, take your time. This movie, the movie stars 
Maggie Smith, Michael Gambon, Kristen Scott Thomas, Camilla Rutherford, Charles Dance, Geraldine Somerville, Tom Hollander, Natasha Reitman, James Wilby, Claudia Bakley, Jeremy Northam, Bob Balaban, Ryan Felipe, Lawrence Fox, Trent Ford, <clears throat> Kelly McDonald, Clive Owen, Helen Mirren, Eileen Atkins, Alan Bates, Emily Watson, Derek Jacoby, Richard E. Grant, Jeremy Swift, Sophie Thompson, Meg Wynn Owen, Adrian Scarborough, Frank Thornton, and Stephen Fry. <laughs> Are you sure you? I, there's so this much is more. The dictionary <laughs> definition of an ensemble film. Oh my god! Yeah, this, I have a running joke that there's only 36 actors in all of England, and they're all in Gosford. They're all in this oh movie, god, yes. <laughs> and then yeah. they added Ryan Felipe just because he was sure. hot at that time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, Felipe's character was actually real. I I hated him in that movie right up until the end. Then I realized I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to hate him, and they actually gave me a reason why, and I loved it. It made me mm-hmm, happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Ullman is a phenomenal director. He's, for those that know me, he's a director that I model a lot of my directing style after, where I kind of be like, okay, actors, here's the scene. Just go. We're going to shoot the whole thing. Just be in character the whole time. Uh, he's a big fan of improv conversations and just moving the camera around where he might catch the, the scripted dialogue, but a lot of times he'll just focus on what's going on in the background and seeing what happens there. Uh, the man was a genius director. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, there are so many stories that happened in this movie. I couldn't, I, I gave you guys a quick recap of the meta story. There are so many things that happen in this movie. And it, uh, uh, you don't want to, you don't want to tell them because they're so intertwined and they're so good. Well, and they're, at, at its heart, it's a whodunit. Yeah. But it's a whodunit where the who becomes less consequential as to the why done it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also the added so, element of the up, the upstairs downstairs class struggle mm-hmm. theme, right? Well, especially because it's a murder mystery, but the murder doesn't happen until two thirds of the way through the movie, where it really mm-hmm. is not the focus of the movie. The focus is these characters and their yeah. interactions and learning who they are, because you just get the the story is told through the eyes of uh, Mary McKeekran, who's played by Kelly McDonald, who is uh, oh, the newest servant to Maggie Smith's Countess of Trentham. And they're, she's going to this party and she's never worked. She's never been a servant to a countess and has never been to a country party. So it's her learning how this works. And she's sort of the audience's eyes for how everything functions in this. And you, her gaze is what shifts what's going on in the story. So, but you get dropped into these characters where they've, they've known each other for years. They've grown up, they're married, they live with each other, they know each other. So you don't get the exposition of who the hell everybody is other than, the general introduction to the the host of the party who may not know everyone. Yeah, but you don't really need it because you they feel like full characters, right? That's, they are. Oh, they that's so what's are. so good. Yeah. You can totally see like if you're a fan of Downton Abbey, you can see why. Yeah. That was sort of um, like it was originally planned as a spinoff of this movie, and you can totally yeah. see which characters would parallel that, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. Especially Maggie Smith's characters, because both those characters are just old, sassy British ladies who give no fucks about anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just assume McGonagall was the same. <laughs> Cinematic universe. Confirmed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you have that much British talent, I mean, okay, so it's period, piece, plus they have all 36, you know, British actors, you know, uh, I mean, <laughs> it, it can't fail. I mean, but for all the reasons you said too, that 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 they that the character detail is is such that you know you 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 care about all these things that are going on. Like it really is a an amazing yeah. work. 
Oh, I know. It's just, and every, every character pulls their weight. There's never like a, Oh, they're there for filler. Like there are mm. characters yeah. that you may see for, you may see in one scene that you won't see for like another hour in the movie. But when they come back, you, you feel like, Oh yeah, they just left. Like you, I just saw them, but you're like, Oh, it's been an hour since that character was on screen last. Yeah. 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 No, they just, they lend so much. It's sort of like what we were talking about last week with the mm-hmm. wait, the, is the Ian home thing. Yes. yes. Yeah. That was last yeah. week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, even though he did all these small parts, right? It there's just so much professionalism and so much that they give, you know, these roles. And I mean, that's that's Gosford Park. I mean, everybody yeah. does that. So. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it also Helen Mirren has one of the most heart wrenching speeches I've ever seen on film. That is one of my go tos for just if I want to watch just some a phenomenal piece of acting. It's her describing what it is to be the perfect servant. Mm-hmm. Or she she goes like I'm the perfect servant. When I when they're hungry, I have food ready for them. I have their clothes out before they know before they want to wake up. I make sure that they're fed. I make sure that they're cared for. I know what they want before they even know they want it. And then Mary asks, but you know, she they have another bit of conversation. She says, you know, but it's like it sounds like it's she sounds you make it sound like it's your life. She says, dear, weren't you listening? I'm the perfect servant. I have no life. Wow. And it's just like, <sighs> oh, and she does it just completely straight face because she's not bitter. She's not angry. She's, she's accepted that this is the life that I lead. Yeah. She was sort of like the perfect person to show the lower class in this film. Like, And then yeah. you could you could sort of mirror her against like Charles Dance's Lord, uh, Lord Stockbridge, Stockbridge, right? God, yeah. that's like a stellar performance just on itself. Everyone's oh. stellar. And he's but, and again, it's just a small performance in the film, but he's just so obliviously rich to everything. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, her, he and his wife have an argument when they first arrive. You know, it's like she'll be like, I'm just I'll be glad that I'm just sitting beside someone that isn't deaf in one year. And he says, Oh, I'm sorry, what was that? <laughs> oh God, this film. Like, so good. Stop blubbering dear that think you were Italian. For me personally, it's a phenomenal, as as are all Robert Altman films, mm. phenomenal, phenomenal character pieces, uh, phenomenal ensemble pieces, where every character is important, even if you don't think they are. This is not one of those movies I can just put on and not pay attention to because all the every actor does such a good job on it, and their performances mm-hmm. are so like good that I I end up just watching it. If I'll put it on, I'm going to watch it. Um, for me, it's really fun. And this is, again, it's because I've watched this movie over and over and over again. Once you know what happens when the movie, once you know the ending, it behooves yourself to go back and watch it again. Every time you rewatch this movie, you'll see something different happening in the background. Mm-hmm. And especially if you know what the outcome is, like who the murderer was and the reasoning why. If you then start to follow that character through the show, through the movie, you see it, they hide who it is in plain sight the entire time. And all you, but you don't know what you're looking for until you look for it. And mm-hmm. once you see it, you go, oh, it's been there the whole time, but it's because the killer wasn't trying to hide that they did it. Mm-hmm. Did you yeah. see this in theaters or did you catch it on I, this? I didn't see in theaters. This uh, I missed because I was like, oh, British murder mystery. I don't really care. And then I saw that it was nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards. And this was at the time when I was working overnight at Jumbo Video. So we had the, the DVDs came in and I watched it at work one night. And I was literally I was like, I'm like, I need to own this. I literally I, the night I watched it, I bought a copy of it nice. that day. I'm like, I need to own wow. this. This is phenomenal. 
Uh, free popcorn jumbo video. So <laughs> that job is the reason that I can't eat popcorn anymore. <laughs> that reason is even, even the smell of it makes me angry now. Your job there is the reason why I got so much free popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Any other? It's been ages since I've seen this movie. I I I don't even remember it that well. Um, you know. Yeah, but it's I, uh, it's available on Netflix right now. I definitely ooh. recommend watching it. Um, oh God, I just I love it. I did it not realize so it was on Netflix. I'm going to watch this later this week. Yeah, it's uh. So give me one second. I do have to give one shout out. Uh, as soon as I find the character's name, Jeremy Northam um, plays Ivor Novello in this film. Who was actually was a real person, was a real film actor. They actually, uh, and this was a fun tidbit that I wasn't aware of. Because Ivor Novello was also uh, a singer, he was a singer and an actor, and all that, all that fun stuff. Uh, Ivor Novello, the actor, is most known for the film *The Lodger*. Uh, for mm. those that study film history, uh, which he had just filmed, like the character in the film had just finished, was just a, had just fitted, filmed it, and they have a, a big commentary on, you know, he's, he's talking about like, oh, I just filmed this, and you know, someone asks, you know, well. Well, what happens? He's like, well, I wouldn't want to ruin for, ruin it for you. And Maggie Smith says, oh, my dear, none of us will actually go see it. And then they just talk about that film. But um, there's a <laughs> point in time where after dinner, they're all sitting in a lounge and they're just, you know, bullshitting as the rich people do. Uh, and they ask him to start playing. And the actor started singing and playing. But in the final film, they actually replaced his singing with Ivor Novello singing. Oh, but only, only in the song, there's only one song where they did it. It's when you don't actually see him singing playing, but you hear him because you're listening, the, the servants are listening. That was actually Ivor Novello. And he actually recorded the song, Jeremy Northam recorded the songs that he, the same songs, but they cut back and forth between it. And no one knew about that until they released the film that it was the same. It was two different people singing it because his performance was so spot on with his recreation of his voice. You wouldn't have even known it wasn't him. And That's people didn't know it wasn't him. Yeah. Um, that that sorry that was my weird trivia that went on far too long but I no no that's cool, no, they, cool. They, they did the same thing on uh, the was it the second last episode of um, Star Wars Clone Wars they actually cut between the actor playing um, Anakin Skywalker and you know Hayden Christensen so they yes, said a mix did, between the that, two yeah. yeah so yeah that's 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 pretty yeah. awesome nice cool. So yeah, that's my fun bit of trivia. But yeah, I love love that film. Makes me very very happy. Again, it's one of my I, it's one of my flu films. Whenever I'm feeling low, Nightbreed and Gosford Park are the two that I watch nice. when I'm sick. <laughs> that's I can, quite, I can, uh, quite divergent those two uh, films. Yeah, they are, but they aren't because they're both very character driven films, just sure. for different reasons. Yeah, but they're films that's where you can, like just I can get so engrossed in the performances, I don't have to pay attention to them, and I can kind of drift in and out of fear sleep. Yeah. Um, Nightbreed makes for some very interesting fever dreams. I will give you that. Mm-hmm. But still, it's uh, they're they're good for me. They just they give me that sense of comfort. It's uh, for me, it's the getting wrapped in a blanket of words. Yeah, I love the Gosford Park. Um, it felt like a uh, felt like an Agatha Christie mystery, but like better. Yeah, <laughs> it was Robert Altman and Julian Fellows homage to the Agatha Christie mysteries. Yeah, not saying that Agatha Christie is bad. I do enjoy her. Um, I just no, no, no. I thought this was like. There, there are underlying themes here that they, that you don't really see in Agatha Christie um, yeah. films or Altman. Books. Altman has been such a weird director in that because like his films are great. They they are not the bring you, you know, they are not the fill the theater kind of you know 
big spectacles in that, but you no. know, they are always so worth watching in that. Um, I'm thinking of like the original Mash, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, probably the Long Goodbye with uh, Elliot Gould. Right, mm. right. And, uh, another mystery. Very, another mystery. Yeah, yeah. He's really good at sort of taking the taking these sort of stereotypical genre films, right, and turning them on their on their ear and kind of recreating them in in his own image, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's fair. Like they 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 sort of they recreate that genre in in the Altman universe. No, for sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to our final final oh, one. Man, Steve, yeah, Steven. Uh, so I've been moving the, the, the six back and forth again. And, uh, and I, I don't know whether to go with a movie you got to pay attention to one that actually makes me feel good or one that is so painful. It, it's a, it's an awesome distraction. I mean, that's sort of mm-hmm. the, the rough category. So mm-hmm. I think, uh, I think, um, I think I'll go with one that genuinely makes me feel good though. Although I never put it on. Um, but it is, uh, uh, 1984 is a never ending story. Oh, which uh, I've probably promoted in the past, but this movie holds a special place to me. Again, um, I saw it at someone's birthday party. You know, it's mm-hmm. one of those situations where the mom rented this tape, and and then I stopped paying attention to the to the birthday party and I watched the yeah. movie instead. Yeah, really bad. Um, but no, it's, that was uh, directed the right thing. And, <laughs> <laughs> directed and written by uh, Wolfgang Peterson, and it's based on um, uh, the novel uh, by Michael Endy. It's a German. Uh, book mm-hmm. and um, yeah I'm not sure uh, you know I don't know who to list I mean a lot of the stars are like child stars so yeah, I don't know how many people would know them was, was there anyone like famous in this film I don't recall not that, anyone not that I'm sure was no, all, no, I don't that was the good so. thing about this film is that there were yeah. no preconceived mm-hmm. notions on these people like, yeah. yeah yeah like it has a certain disconnection even though it's like the height of the 80s special effects fantasy film mm-hmm. and uh, and yet it, it's because of the fact that it is based on a, a much more sophisticated uh philosophical fantasy book um it took just enough elements from that uh, mm-hmm. uh to make it a very unique uh story so again yeah. i don't want to give too much away but but basically it's about a boy who um uh, it's got such a ridiculous name, Bastion Balthazar Bucks, um, mm-hmm. who's uh, being raised by a single uh, single dad. Uh, the mother had passed away at some point, and um, he uh, he's getting bullied. Um, and uh, at some point, he uh, runs into a bookstore at the very beginning to get away. Um, and uh, and the grumpy bookstore owner uh, tells him about this uh, one book uh, called The Neverending Story that he has, but basically says you shouldn't read it, you know, which of course, you know, makes the kid actually steal the book. And um, <laughs> and he does leave a note promising to return it, but he, he mm-hmm. runs off with the book. And then for the rest of the film, um, he ends up uh, hiding again, uh, and he ends up reading the book because he's, you know, in hiding. And uh, the book is this fantastical story about this, like, land, you know, that basically represents almost all fantasy. And there's a, a corruption that is slowly making its way uh, across the world. Uh, and it's basically uh, erasing everything. And um, it's all very symbolic and very abstract. But um, I think the amount of uh, imagination uh, in the character design and, I guess, the earnestness of the sort of the characters and the the archetypes, I guess, and the mm-hmm. representation. Yeah. Just, I don't know. It just, it really works, even without, you know, like as a child, obviously, I didn't understand all these concepts, but they're all there. Um, and so you follow the story of Atreyu, which is the hero uh, in the story that the kid is reading about, 
Um, and then uh, things start to get more complicated as the movie uh, progresses. Mm-hmm. But Treyu's on a quest, and uh, and so it follows that very well-worn pattern. But ultimately, yeah, it's a story about stories, mm-hmm. a story about mm-hmm. storytelling, you know. And um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I can't uh, – I mean, obviously, the most memorable scenes are um, – you know, it's, it's one of these eighties movies that don't give a damn about kids. They're just like, we're going to do some horrible stuff and you're going to take yeah. it. Right. And so obviously we all got uh, scarred, um, like by the swamp, oh that's God. all I have to say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a swamp at one point that they have to cross and it's one of these, you know, terrible sort of tests, you know, and, and yeah, it doesn't really work out. So that was horrible. And, um, and of course, Falcor is like a flying luck dragon, which is like this mm-hmm. really bizarre invention. And he's adorable. Like he's like this, fantastic puppet uh but but it was such a such a unique creature you know and um yeah it's just a really beautifully innocent and endearing and heartfelt story so yeah yeah this this movie this movie (laughs) (laughs) this movie scarred me as a child because of two things gamork yep the the terrifying wolf and then the nothing which was just I know, just as a concept, concept. For, as a child, just then, just like nothing. It's just a yeah, yeah. void of everything. It's just yeah, it's worse than terrifying. Death. I mean, oh yeah, it's one of those things. Like you know, like we had an episode where we talked about stuff that scarred us, right? And this is yeah, the concepts in this movie are like really high minded, and yeah, you you kind of wonder about that. Like, what is worse than not existing, not, like having died? It's not existing at all. You know, like. Mm so so brutal well and the the book is even worse with it with its depiction of the nothing and the and the repercussions of what the nothing actually is it's just right yeah but like you're you're right like the design on this film the music it was so that high fantasy that we got in the 80s that was so yeah so 80s but yet so timeless at the same time yeah they went all uh, out i mean that's was, the thing they went amazing. all out in the 80s yeah. um just, and just who doesn't going... know the theme song right yeah exactly Lemal or limau limau yeah lemon i love um uh going back to what you're saying earlier with the cast the the two names from this cast that people will probably most recognize are um deep roy had a cameo in the film mm-hmm. uh, as the man that rode the racing snail uh, oh sure yeah, yeah. And Alan Oppenheimer is the narrator. Is yeah. the narrator and Falcor and Rockbiter and Gamork. Oh, okay. I nice. didn't know he played Gamork. Ooh, okay. He, he voiced basically every he voiced every large speaking puppet character. He just was only credited as um, the narrator. The narrator. Oh, I, I didn't realize he did all these other voices. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, hey. <laughs> Gamork. Falcor. Yeah. Oh my god! Kind of cancels itself out, but yes. Um, which also, I mean, that brings me to one of the the one scene that always sticks with me. Uh, just it, <clears throat> let's see if I can remember this properly. They look like big, strong hands. Oh god! <laughs> Maybe this wasn't the right choice Don't for a movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's no way. That's thing. It's it's one of those. It's they're movies that make you feel, and it's a thing that you have. You have the familiarity because you know ultimately at the end the story works out. Yes, but you I can guess. still go on. But you can still watch the movie and go on this emotional journey time and time again, knowing yeah. that it's going to work out in the end. But that doesn't make the pain and the sad throughout it any less valid every other time you watch it. Yeah, yeah. I I love that this film really and the book uh, really yeah. 
showed us as children the the power of story and the power yeah. of books mm-hmm. and how much how important it is for your imagination and mm-hmm. um yeah just really where we go from here the journey like that that's what's important and oh god this this book this movie was so influential on i think every 80s child that Show me one 80s child that has never seen this movie. I don't think that's possible. Very unlikely you will find that unless they led a very, very cinematically sheltered life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it led to two horrendous sequels. So, I mean, it was popular enough. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Well, those those didn't deal with anything, right? Did they become, they weren't in in the book, right? Anything? Well, that's the thing is if the the book, it's the, the never ending story. The film is the first half of the book. Where, oh yeah, because because the they come. Ends, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the first movie good. ends is is with the, when he has that you know yelling out the window bit. Right. That's where that that story ends. Like that's where the where that movie is. That's the halfway point of the book. The second and third movie both take bits that happen in the second half of the book, but they only take like small bits and then kind of run with them and make them more marketable because yeah. the the second half of the book is even darker than the first if that's possible to believe but the magic comes were, to our world though right that's yeah the, that was what i took away from the book part is that um, yeah there's magic around this as well exactly just, you, know, you need to look I'm, for it i remember i i i did a paper on this book back in university and the, the mm-hmm. I, I was very surprised my first time reading the book i'd seen the movie in the 80s obviously and that mm-hmm. i'd never read the book before and that but yeah the second mm-hmm. half of the book is incredibly dark uh yeah, you find out uh, some revelation in that that the Bastion was was what what was the title they gave him in in the in the end of the book? Oh, I can't even remember what it was. Yeah, yeah. But um, they found out that he was one in a long line of these very disposable people. Oh yeah. man, yeah. <laughs> like it was it was a necessary cycle, but it was a cycle that had to that had to be continued in a certain way. And that the book was part of that cycle. Like it was all set up and it was a whole to do. Like it gets real, real twist. Like, and the first half of the book, like is not exactly an upper either. And then it just Mm. gets darker from there. You're like, Oh, this is so German. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. is. (laughs) Happiness of the misfortune of others. That is German. Uh, I'm just kidding. I love the German people. They are wonderful. Yeah, they pull no punches in their fair tales. And Not at all. And it's no, I, I, I know it's this it's it's kind of this lesson that has kind of gotten lost in 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 new new fairy tales and fiction for children and that you know like you can go through these bad points and that knowing that at the at that in the end it will work out and that but mm-hmm. there's this need to try and really protect kids from the low points you yeah. know but like yeah. Yeah. if you don't have yeah. those low points in it and that then how are you ever going to appreciate the highs? Exactly. Yes. Like you could say I, the I same. Will. You could say the same thing about like the last unicorn, right? Like, yeah, these, these that are was the on my short list too. Yeah. yeah. Well, when it's we're, like we're, it's, it's a, I'll quote I'll quote Gamork from the book. Without dark, there can be no light. So my yeah. existence is necessary, so you can thrive. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, why is this well, villain is. making so much sense? But it, it's right. Uh, but it's true though. Like you can't if you have no dark, you can't have light. Mm-hmm. There needs to be balance. And if you only have nothing but light there's no dark and then you're not learning anything. Well, there's no stakes. It's not reality. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. This would be the perfect movie for like films that scarred us when we were younger. Like we can put, we'll put this in, we'll put in the last unicorn. We'll put in all those. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But but this is also one of those movies that at least personally, I 
parents, you need to need to need to let your children watch this film. Yeah, for sure. And yes, yes, it will scare them and yes, it will upset them and yes, it will scar them, but it will also show them that those things are natural and that it's things that everyone feels and it helps them learn. This movie yeah, wasn't G, was right? People. It was PG. It was I PG. Assume. Yeah, I, I think it was, it was PG. and it was 80s PG, which was actually like PG thirteen. Yeah, like PG thirteen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like if the kids under thirteen, parents, you really need to be here with them. Yeah. 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 I yeah. think for this one for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like we, we talked about the design of the film. Everything felt so real. Like the the good thing about this film is that when they went into that fantasy realm, it felt like a real world. Like yeah, these characters so. are real. That that snail mm-hmm. was real, and they all had personality. Well, because um, this was like early '80s, where it was all about like puppetry and set design. Like they had no, they had the closest thing to high tech in this was the flying scenes. Yeah, back when they had you know green screen and blue screen. Yeah, and they saw and this these is, puppets. So plus Wolfgang Peterson directed this film, right? Yeah. So <laughs> you got you got a a top notch director doing this high minded fantasy. Oh God. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yep. The trauma, and yeah. they Feels and good. they did they honored the source material, which is something yes. that they don't really do anymore. Well, they sometimes do, but more often than not, they don't. Like you, you can they look at, this, yeah, they'll take yeah. the source and rewrite it, but they'll be like, no, we need to make this more palatable. It's like, no, just tell the story. Yeah. If if I was on everything is permitted, my rant would have been on Artemis Fowl. <laughs> which mm-hmm. just got released on Disney Plus, which mm-hmm. is fucking horrible and has yeah. nothing to do with the books. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Nope. There are names that, there, and you're just like, "What the fuck is this shit?" Yeah, I, I saw I, I saw the trailer for it, and I was like, "Nope." Yeah, well, I, like the people interested. that had read the books were just like, "Holy shit, this is awesome!" Because the books are about a, a this yeah. like criminal mastermind child. Yeah, he's a villain, really. Yeah. He villain. starts <laughs> out, yeah. And it's supposed to be like, uh, it's supposed to be the first book was a diehard, um, esque teen novel, but um, from the point of the villain, (laughs) yeah. And then there's none of that in the movie, none of it. They had had to Disneyfy it. Yeah, I think I think somebody made some. Yeah, this is something we can talk about later because I haven't watched it yet. I'm a bit scared too. But I, from what I understand, it's a waste of time. (laughs) From what I understand, somebody made a decision to skip the first movie because they didn't think there was enough content or that it would make it. So they kind of went forward, but then they didn't really like do the second or third books properly either. So it's it's not even that. This is like a prequel to the books, sort of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just it's 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 hot garbage. It's hot it's garbage. Wow. Don't watch it, Steve. I can honestly which is say why, which it was is also a waste why of time. Taint, that's also why it tanked in theaters. So well, it didn't go to theaters. It went straight to. <laughs> oh, didn't Plus. it? I, I, well, I remember they had trailers out for it in theaters. Yeah. No, it was no, supposed no, to come out in theaters, not. but then the COVID thing happened. Yeah. So they oh, just released no. it online, and then yeah, everyone like shat on it because it was yeah. garbage. It's universally reviled. You know, you know when you watch a movie and you're supposed to sort of like someone. Or at least you you should like the the hero, right? The kid in this movie is so fucking. Oh my god! <laughs> I just don't. I don't care about anyone in this. Okay, never. This is not for this. <laughs> this movie's stupid. It's stupid. Fair. So, yeah, wasted, I you. Good. A good. A, a good hero. Yeah. So so <laughs> let's, let's let's bring it back to the never ending story. Every single person that I cared about in this movie, I cared about. Um, I can yeah. I can honestly look at Artemis Fowl and not care about anyone. I don't <laughs> even really right. remember who played who on that. Sure. Oh god, this stupid yeah. movie. But Never Ending Story, amazing. Yes. Such yes. care. P- Wolfgang Peterson. I'm gonna bring that back. Cares. Yeah. yeah. Cared. Yeah. Yeah. That oh. that is what it comes down to. 
Whew. So, Oof. any final thoughts on Neverending Story? That was a great, great last pick, man, because that movie's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, watch it. If you haven't watched it, shame on you. Watch that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the cast was top notch. And the the chemistry between all the kid actors, the kid actors, like, you, mm-hmm. like, they were so good and they were just like unknown characters, yeah. right? Yeah. It's rare. It's true. Like, that usually is like the biggest problem with these types of movies. Like, and you just go, ah, they're just kid actors, right? But no, everyone was very good in this one. Yeah. They felt One real. thing I will say, the one thing I will say about this movie is if you are able to watch a, a newer copy of it, whether it's Blu-ray, DVD, what have you, but Blu-ray is preferable. Um, put the put the closed captioning on for the end of the film because you do, he does say a word when he yells out the window. It's just usually unintelligible, but yeah. there actually is a name given that you do need to, you do need to know because it's kind of endearing. Okay. Yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. The original, I, the original DVD. Yeah, you can't movie, make it out. Yeah. Just, just read the captioning said inaudible. But he oh, actually, really? Yeah, okay. even the close copy said inaudible, but the Blu-ray releases since then okay. have, have changed it to what he actually calls it. Yeah, because I know I know what the words are, but yeah, no, yeah. that's interesting. Cool. Huh. And anyone that anyone that's read the book knows the knows the the words as well because it's in the book. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they wanted to I guess wanted to keep it kind of secret in the movie, but I don't under, that, that's only I yeah. never understood. in the original <laughs> thing. I guess that's okay. Yeah. I don't remember the words. <laughs> it's the uh, it's the name. It's the it's name. The that name. That he has to has to he provide. has to name yeah. the child yeah. yeah give a name to yeah. the child like empress if yes. you want to watch this movie it is available on prime video so you can nice. stream it i don't oh, think excellent. i think it's just the first one they don't have any of the other garbage ones. You don't that's watch fine it, it doesn't matter that, that, sorry yeah, it doesn't matter. This, this, never this made another movie one is entered, no the second movie is worth watching because jonathan brandis plays bastion in the second film oh yeah I yeah kind of funny. i mean i like brandis but but the, as a character in that movie, he's like, yeah. it's a bad character, right? So that's no, why I can't even it push it. Wasn't he on Sequest one. DSV? Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> that's where I know him and from. No, and nothing else. <laughs> yeah. I don't. No, even, in, I actually don't in, remember um, him in anything else. Wasn't he in It, the TV? Yeah. Oh, yes, he was in, yeah. in, in yeah, the. Oh, it yeah, series. he was. Yeah. Sorry, Jonathan Brandis, actor from Sequest and It. <laughs> yeah, those are, that's pretty much how I remember him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, and from uh, uh, Tiger Beat or whatever. So let's throw this out to our <laughs> our listeners. Ooh. What's your comfort food movie? What what movie brings you joy? What sparks joy? Why don't you let us know in email or on social media? We are everywhere. Thank you, Matt Moore, Hawk, and Steve for coming on and talking about our Marie Kondo esque movies. Uh, we will be yeah. back soon for something. Oh, we are going to be actually. Back sooner. There's a bonus episode planned that I will talk about these to these guys afterwards, and we will see you. Super secret bonus content. It's not secret. It's about video games. We'll talk about it soon. Thank you for listening, (laughs) (laughs) and thank you guys for listening. We will talk to you guys really soon. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Well, that's it for us this week on Geeks with Kids. If you want to get a hold of us you can send us an email at podcast at geekswithkids.ca and don't forget to like us on facebook at facebook.com slash geekswithkids follow us on twitter at geekswithkidscn check out our pics on instagram at geekswithkids and you can find all of this good stuff on our website at www.geekswithkids.ca so if you like what you hear why don't you hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment 
This podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, and your favorite podcasting app. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.